Hello! Hey guys, it's Arden Cho. This is Seth Gilliam. Hey, this is Holland Roden. My name is Kiahu Kahuanui. Hello, this is Ian Bowen. Hey you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio. I'm Lyndon Ashby. Hey, it's Ronnie Adams. This is Tyler Posey, and you are listening to Not Another. Not Another. Not Another. This is Not Another Team Wolf Podcast. Yes, it is! Oh! Ha-ha! <laughs> this is Jeff Davis, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, episode number 77. Today we are recording about Teen Wolf season four, episode nine, Perishable. And I'm Karen, and Natalie can't join us today, but we have Danya here. Hi, Danya. Hi. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why we're so excited is because Danya and I absolutely love Parish, and we really wanted to do this episode together. Uh, and Natalie loves Parish too, so it's kind of a bummer that she couldn't be here. But uh, we are the resident Parish fangirls, so it's awesome that we get to record together. Yes, I'm so excited about this. It was, it, yeah, this was going to turn in. Oh, it is probably still going to turn into like the Parish fan club. <laughs> I mean, that's okay with me. <laughs> I, it's totally okay with me as well. Okay, so uh, as usual, if you guys want to contact us, you can hop on Twitter and tweet us at NATWpodcast. You can email us at NATWpodcast at gmail.com or go to our Tumblr, notanotherteenwolfpodcast.tumblr.com. And uh, let's start off with quotes. Danya, what was your favorite quote this episode? Oh, you would make me go first. Funnily <laughs> enough, you actually took the one I was originally thinking of choosing and okay. this was my second choice quote but yeah mine is the from the scene between the sheriff and Styles in the hospital after the sheriff has gotten shot and they're having their Stalinsky family feels <laughs> and um <laughs> he just he just says to Styles you're not supposed to take care of me I'm the dad, you're the son, get it. And uh, I was watching this episode from my iPhone at like six o'clock this morning before I went to work. And I just, I hadn't had coffee. I hadn't really woken up enough to get the emotional capacity to deal with anything. (laughs) And I was just bawling. Like this morning, I was just like sat on my bed, clutching my phone, just bawling that entire scene. God, I was ruined before I'd even got to work. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I was like fully awake when I watched this episode and that scene still ruined me. So I don't think you had a chance either way. No, no, and it was also pre-Coffee Danya, and pre-Coffee Danya has no emotional capacity for anything. <laughs> <laughs> has <What>? very extreme reactions. 
Well, my line is a really funny one, so I guess that's a good counterbalance. But mine was for Mason, who is incredible this entire episode. But it was when he was talking to Liam, and he was trying to get Liam to go to the the bonfire. And it goes, like, we need to get you a girl, and then we need to find me a guy. And he goes, because statistically speaking, someone on your team has got to be on my team. And it was just, I mean, we've talked again and again about how awesome this show is about not making a big deal about you know whether or not characters are gay and stuff like that and it was just it was just a great funny sort of throwaway line that that really didn't mean anything but was funny anyway and just kind of added to everything especially considering at this point Liam was kind of going a little nuts and thinking he was seeing berserkers everywhere and and it was really intense then Mason comes in just be like yeah I need a date (laughs) yeah it was just like that that one moment of like crashing back down to normality because um he's he's Liam's I guess like he grounds him back into being like a normal teenager in in high school again yeah. uh when everything is literally falling apart around Liam like his whole life is changing and I think in some ways Mason is kind of Obviously, he's not Styles in in that respect. Like they're not they're not even remotely alike as characters. But he's very much, even though he's not in the know, he's that human element that's keeping, I guess, Liam attached to his human self, which is a little bit what Styles did for Scott and does for Scott still. Like keeps him in touch. Like he kept him so in touch in season one with with his humanity so I yeah. I kind of see it like that I think it's great I love I love him as a counterbalance to Liam's character as well I really hope we see more of them interacting together yes that would be nice I I completely agree about how his role as a friend is very similar to Styles's role as a friend to Scott because I think in general the show needs characters like this to sort of bring you back down and remind you that the show can be really funny and that even though it's a supernatural drama sometimes you know you have to kind of make it light and you have to have that human element because as we bring in more and more characters who turn out to be supernatural characters or are involved in the supernatural world uh it it's a good reminder that not everybody is on that playing field you know some people are in the sidelines and i think Mason might end up coming into the world in the know a little bit later on. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but he seems to be getting closer and closer to that sort of thing, especially given that he's Liam's best friend. But at the moment, he does act as a really good balance to be like, hey, you're still in high school. Hey, you're still single. So am I. Let's go find dates. Yeah. He's not on the chessboard, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's really, really true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I really, really hope we get more of him. So. Me too. I just, too. just so into him as a character. And I have more to say about just that entire scene as we go through it. But it'll probably work. It'll, we'll get into it more as we're going through the episode recap. Yeah, let's get started on that. Let's start right at the beginning, which... Wow, I can't remember who said it. Was it Jen Lynch 
that said this Colobin was like her favorite ever. I think that no, that was Angela. Angela said oh, this Angela, yes. was her favorite. And not not just because it was like her idea yes. that she, she pitched. <laughs> Angela I, I, Why? Why would you hurt Parrish? <laughs> I mean it was a great cold open um cold haha but uh you know Parrish is lit on fire by Haig of all people did you see that coming did you think Haig would be in on it I I I don't think I necessarily thought that Haig was gonna be in on it like in terms of the Deadpool list I didn't think necessarily he was going to be an assassin the way that we've had the other assassins but I've I from the second that guy was mean to baby Derek (laughs) I've just been like you are bad news and I don't like you and I don't like your face (laughs) so I uh yeah I don't necessarily think that he was in on it but I don't like him. Oh, yeah. So. I think you'd. it'd be really hard to like him just because he was such a jerk. And, I mean, there are people who get angry and stuff. Like Liam. Liam has a lot of anger inside of him. But it comes from a certain place. Whereas Haig, it always felt like he just was being a jerk to be a jerk. Because that's exactly who he was. You know, it didn't necessarily come from a place where, like, oh, I'm so tortured and I have such a horrible past. It was like, he just liked being mean to people. And so it's pretty easy to hate him, especially when Parrish is like, oh, you're just going to listen to the screams of your fellow, like, dying deputy. And he puts the headphones in. He's like, nope. That that moment was so good. And I mean it in, in a way that it it was awful. Like, it's an awful thing to do. But he was so resigned to going through with it and seeing it yeah. through and potentially getting the visual because obviously he was sticking around because he needs the visual confirmation I would imagine that's right. why he was sticking around and he was so determined to go through with it he came prepared Ugh. with headphones with something to listen to so he wouldn't need to listen to Parrish screaming as he burned to death and it's like there's got to be something because he's I don't necessarily think he's an assassin at all. Really? But there has to have been like, I don't know. I don't think that he was an assassin in terms of like getting the Deadpool the way the other assassins have got the Deadpool. Oh, okay. I think he may have picked up the copies that started like printing out wirelessly to everyone. Right. Like we right. saw with everyone. And I think obviously being involved in law enforcement and being able to make that connection to what that meant, I guess, because I didn't see if any instructions were like printing out with it. We just, we just saw the Deadpool list. Yeah. But I think for someone in that profession who, and we, we know he's getting, we, we know he's getting paid less than Parrish, you know, the possibility of being able to isolate, someone to get that amount of money you know there has to be some kind of circumstance behind him that would 
drive him to be able to kill someone and, and rationalize it to be able to get that money. Wow. You know. It makes me hate him even more because it's one thing, seriously, because it's one thing to be an assassin and to pretend you're a cop and to sort of like lie in wait for this pool to come around and to be able to get somebody like Parrish on their own and try to kill him. And it's a completely other thing to be a legitimate cop and then decide one day you're just going to kill somebody for money. Like... It's sort of like the difference of being, you know, evil, like pure evil, like Voldemort evil, and then being like, like Umbridge, who is a human and is just like a terrible person. Yeah. And that's, that's how I see him. Like, that's, that's the reading that I took of it. But then there may be people who, who think that he was actually an assassin, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's the way it was going like I I kind of read it as he he's our umbrage so yeah now I'm just picturing him all in pink with like a little bow in his hair <laughs> and it's it makes him even better I like him more now um yeah and I mean maybe we'll find out more about Haig because he is still alive by the end of the episode uh, perhaps yeah. with a broken nose, but you know, that's another story altogether. Go Brayden. Yeah. Fist pump. Uh, but who else is alive? But Parrish, I mean, they didn't make us wait too long to have him come back to life, which was a relief. I think if you've paid close enough attention to the promos that had been going out, especially the mid season trailer, you knew that there was a little bit more that had to come from him. So I wasn't, um, surprised that he came back. I was a little surprised that it was such a quick turnaround, but I like what they did. Uh, he came back in, all of his clothes had burned off, but he was otherwise unharmed and uh, covered in soot, and he completely wails on Haig, fair enough. I mean, the dude tried to kill him. And uh, yeah. now, now we have a little bit more of a clue that Parrish is... I mean, we knew he was a supernatural creature, but now we have you know, one more number in that equation where we know that fire doesn't burn him. So there's a lot of theories going around right now. I think I've seen the Phoenix theory the most. Some of my other theories yeah. were a dragon, totally plausible. Mm -hmm. And also those salamanders from Harry Potter that like live in the fire. I think he could be a yeah. salamander. I actually had Salamander down as um, a potential. Like, I was looking up creatures who either lived in fire or were impervious to fire or, like, had healing abilities. And there is a lot of uh, mythology and lore around the Salamander. So it's that, that is an entirely possible theory. I mean, I, I could... I could get on board with that. I was looking uh, specifically at people who were um, like, I was trying to look up people who had like, not necessarily healing abilities, but the ability to empathize as well. Because what I've seen from Parrish so far is he's 
very easily able to align and diffuse situations very, very quickly as well. I don't know if that's a testament to his character or if that's another clue to what his ability might be. Because you see, like, high-strung situations, he he gets a really good read on them very, very quickly and, Mm -hmm. and brings them back under control or just diffuses the person who's quite high strung you know except for in Higgs yeah <laughs> instance Higgs was then, definitely um, on the wrong end of uh <laughs> of Parrish yeah. that time oh yeah definitely and I think it was really interesting to see Parrish completely lose control as well like just I mean understandably the guy just set him on fire but to see him just snap and and go back to that kind of place and just like really lay it on him I was like oh my god I don't know whether to be impressed or scared because (laughs) a little bit of both (laughs) a little bit of both he was terrifying like when he snapped like that, I yeah. I was genuinely scared. I thought he was. I thought it would be entirely possible that he could beat Hague to death. But oh, then, yeah, I wasn't yeah. entirely sure he was alive until we saw him later on in the episode. Yeah, I wasn't either, and I was like, oh wow, because the one thing I've really liked about Parrish is how kind of gentle he's been and how kind he's been and open to people and to see this complete flip on his character was so scary to know that you know every every nice person has their breaking point just because they're nice doesn't mean there's something that won't tip them over the edge and apparently being set on fire is uh (laughs) is uh, the edge for uh, for our favorite deputy. <laughs> I mean, kudos to him for hanging in there as long as he has yeah. not snapping beforehand. Wow. Yeah, but what I'd be interested uh, in learning is whether or not he actually burnt to, I guess, to death. I'm, I'm going to put it like that. So whether his, like, skin burnt away and, and that kind of thing. And he healed and came back and then was covered in soot and then came in or whether it just didn't kill him or he was regenerating faster than it could burn him alive until he until he managed to well I guess the um the zip ties that had him like attached to the steering wheel they would have burnt away so that would explain how he got free because he wasn't he doesn't have the strength or the super strength that we've seen other supernatural creatures have so he couldn't pull himself free so obviously it just it just makes me terrified that he could have been literally burning to death over and over and over again but he was healing fast enough that he was just feeling it over and over again 
Yeah, and I want to bring up Wolf Watch for two reasons. Because one, uh, Jeff was on there and he was talking about this a little bit. And one of the the word that he used to describe what happened to Parrish was that he was impervious to fire. So I think maybe that answers your question there, that maybe the fire just didn't affect him. I mean, it affected his clothes, obviously. And yeah, he would have gotten free from the zip ties, but everything else on him, I mean, even his hair, his fingernails, all of that sort of thing, yeah. they were totally intact. So yeah. I'm thinking that maybe the fire just didn't affect him. The other thing I want to mention is that Jeff sort of, I mean, he was being really vague. Nobody knows what Parrish is. Not even Ryan Kelly, the guy who plays him, doesn't know it either. Uh, Jeff knows, I assume. <laughs> and uh, he says, you know, is he just impervious to fire or is he impervious to other things too? And I hadn't thought about that before. So we could be really narrowing our look at this by saying, okay, is he, you know, a phoenix? Is he a dragon? Is he all these things that have to do with fire where he could actually be something else? And Natalie and I were talking about this and we kind of came to uh, a conclusion separately, the same conclusion separately from each other. And we were reminded of Darwin from X-Men who can adapt to his different situations. And he's, you know, he can be impervious to fire and stuff by turning into stone and like all of these other things. So I kind of wonder if maybe they're going in a more generalized direction like that. Yeah, that I love Darwin, by the way. Me too. So, yeah. Um, oh man. I'm just okay, I'm really into my mythology and supernatural creatures. And I'm trying to think of a creature that is like impervious to all elements because typically they would be uh it's very, very narrowed in the the, the mythology it's based on tends to be your you're kind of impervious to one particular element and off the top of my head I can't think of one that would cover more elements but yeah the Darwin thing I'm gonna have to research I'm gonna have to look into this (laughs) and definitely listeners who you know get any ideas we love getting asks on tumblr telling us your theories your thoughts and you know any meta that you might have it's always really interesting and we try to reblog as much of that as we can Um, But, you know, even Derek doesn't know what Parrish is, and that's kind of a big deal. We've talked before about how much Derek knows. He knew what the Kanama was. He knew uh, what a Kitsune was. He has a lot of knowledge. He can speak several different languages. He kind of comes from this background where it seems like maybe his family taught him all of this stuff or he's just always been really studious his entire life but the fact that even Derek doesn't know what he is that's kind of huge and I wonder if it's going to be like really off the wall if we're just not even close to what Parrish could be yeah um and I don't know that maybe Derek not having some of his uh powers has affected his ability to narrow down what he might be because um, Derek uses his werewolf sight and his senses a lot more than any of the other werewolves that we have had and have on the show. So I don't know if that would have given him more cues for like what Parrish could be. 
I think so because he he could see the aura around uh, Kira, and so yeah. that helped him figure out what she was. So yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me. And even his sense of smell could lead him in one direction or another. So the fact that he's more or less human now definitely is probably you know hindering his his investigation of what yeah. pairs should be. Although really interesting was the throwback to the Argent Bestiary. Where yeah, definitely. He, where he was like, why don't you reference the bestiary? Guys, <laughs> come on. <laughs> and Scott was like, yeah, I don't know where Arjun is. <laughs> He's probably off having a beer somewhere. Probably. He needs one, poor guy. Yeah. Um, somebody else who could use a beer, though maybe not while he's on medication, is Sheriff Selinski, because he got shot in the shoulder, not fatal, but he still has to go into surgery and all of that stuff, and he and Styles argue over who's supposed to take care of who, and, I mean, like you said before, it was a really touching scene, and it was a little scary how Sheriff Selinski was yelling at Styles, but... You know, I can really see where they're both coming from, considering that Sheriff Solinsky is the father, so he should be taking care of his son. But at the same time, he probably feels like he maybe can't because he's even newer to the supernatural world than Styles is. And Styles has been dealing with it on his own for a while. He's sort of become an expert on a lot of these things. And I think Sheriff Stolinsky feels really out of his element. And... On the other hand, Styles is very protective of his father. It still feels like he needs to keep him away from all of the supernatural stuff. But he and he's probably having a lot of flashbacks to his mom being in the hospital. I mean, oh. this this whole situation cannot be easy for him. No, I I can't imagine. I, I mean, every time we see him in the hospital, bar the one scene back in. Uh, back in season one where he's taking the, the balloon for Lydia, it's always been a situation that's been perilous or has been very, very emotional for him or very, very scary on a, on a different level than the immediate threat of death, like in, in terms of being attacked. You know, he spends a lot of time in that hospital and I can't imagine it gets easier any time so tensions are always quite high strung with him when you know he's in the hospital and especially his dad's being shot and they already he already knows that they've got a lot of medical bills because of Eichenhaus and right. he's very clearly feeling so much guilt for that and I mean the sheriff should know that Styles would have gone through the mail eventually. I, know. I think I mean, that's probably on. I think that's probably why he was keeping it at the the sheriff's office his office at the sheriff's department. But it's it's just awful that and I mean we've we've talked about it before about uh healthcare and and medical bills and and stuff like that. I know we've touched we touched on it quite heavily in an episode. And again, it was very, very terrifying. I actually went to Liz, who we've had on an episode before, because she did like criminal justice stuff. And uh, I was like, so in the line of duty, if you get 
injured like that what what does your medical cover look like what 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 happens because i i will will willingly put my hands up and go i read up a lot about this but i still don't fully understand it and that's probably coming from my culture and my kind of basis for how i get medical treatment in that we have the national health service yes we pay for that through our taxes but we don't have to pay to see a doctor in terms of put money down to to go and see anyone so I kind of was like how how does that how would that look and she said that it's entirely possible that they have like a group plan for all of their like all of their officers that they can dip in and out of but it may not necessarily cover the entirety of the costs and anything additional would potentially be down to the individual person and that was really scary for me that you know officers could be putting their lives on the line for people and putting themselves into these dangerous situations and then they could come out the other side maybe not expected to foot the entirety of a medical bill but at least a large chunk of it and I don't know it was it's a terrifying thought to me and if anyone else knows more about that I would I would love to like be educated a little bit more about it and learn a little bit more because it's something it's a subject that utterly fascinates and terrifies me knowing that we have it comparatively very easy here in terms of being able to get medical care whenever we need it without having to worry that it could literally cripple us and put us into to debt and it just it, it upsets me so much hearing these stories from other people where they've gotten into so debt they've got however many credit cards to try and like be able to pay their immediate medical bills because that's the pressing issue and then having to pay off credit cards and and just this massive cycle and it's it's just really upsetting and you know I I sometimes uh jump on stuff like GoFundMe and and those kind of crowdfunding sites and sometimes I will literally just look for people who are trying to pay for medical bills in the states and I will if I have the disposable income at the time I will literally drop in and out and and donate money to people just because I like I may not know them but uh, the majority of the time I I don't know them I'll see some stuff going around on Tumblr that'll get reblogged and where I can I try and put money towards it just because it's such a wildly different world and I don't I, I honestly believe that everyone should be able to get medical care without having to to potentially put themselves into debt over it. So that's something that I tend to do. But this this brought it back again. And it was a terrifying prospect that when he was going through like the disclaimer bits. Yeah. If the insurance chose to fight it, he could be footed with the entire bill. And I was just like, they're going, that's so horrible. 
I know. And I mean, we know for a fact that they don't make a lot of money. I mean, Parrish, I'm sure Sheriff Stalinsky makes more than them, but Parrish makes about 40000 a year and Haig makes even less. I mean, that is not a lot of money, especially when you have, you know, a bullet wound to take care of. So, yeah, it's it's kind of frightening, but hopefully... I feel like they're really building up toward, okay, the McCalls are having family issues, the Martins are having family issues, the Stalinskys are having family issues. Maybe by the end of the episode, Derek will get all of his money back and he won't give any to Peter, but he'll give that to Lydia and to Styles and to Scott and everyone will be happy. God, that's going to go down so well with Peter. <laughs> so well. Maybe well, that's going to be his tipping point. <laughs> maybe. That his, would... his new tipping point. Yeah, really. <laughs> He's definitely tipped before. Oh, yeah. Um, But switching gears a little bit and jumping forward, we see that the list starts going out to everyone. And we touched on this a little bit before, wondering about Haig and if he was a professional assassin or not. What I want to know is what do regular people think is going on? Because later in the episode, we see that it's happening in Coach's office as well. And there's just all of this paper all over his floor that has this list of a bunch of people that I'm sure he knows. I mean, definitely some kids from the school, but other people as well in town that he might be familiar with on this list with random numbers next to them. I mean, what do you think is going through his head or, or anybody else's head? I, I honestly don't know because there weren't like the list was done where like from what I could see and, and bearing in mind I was watching this on my phone from what I could see, it was just like the main front cover page of, the the Deadpool so it had the code the um the cipher key that unlocked that part of the code at the top and then the list of names with the prices on their head next to it and I didn't necessarily see that there was anything other than that so without any kind of instruction for for people who would be just normal day-to-day people you know, I don't necessarily think they'd immediately jump to it being some kind of hit list and amounts of money for doing it to like for knocking people out and, and bumping them off the list. So I don't I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of instruction that might have printed out with it. Yeah, I mean, you would think that maybe some people are involved in the wrong crowd, like Haig, you know, somebody who would be around people that would maybe be able to clue him in. But somebody like Coach, you know, I don't think he's all of a sudden going to look at this and understand what's going on, uh, let alone actually start trying to kill people to get money. But yeah, I mean, it's it definitely served its purpose in making the situation even more dire as if we thought that could happen. Uh, I was certainly surprised that all of a sudden it was going public. And you could see that it's really taking its toll on everyone, but especially Liam. Liam's being really twitchy in this episode. And I thought it was just all of the pressure that was on him and, you know, being a new werewolf and being on this Deadpool and all of a sudden, you know, everything's just going crazy in his life. And I thought it was basically down to that. But then Natalie, we were talking earlier, and she was wondering, because he kept seeing the berserkers everywhere, if maybe he was turning into a berserker. 
which I think was it Natalie who had the the theory of the scratches on Malia yeah. earlier in the season and thinking that she might turn into a berserker. Yeah. Yeah. It's because did Liam get scratched at some point as well? I don't think so, and I think that's why this didn't necessarily occur to me, because those berserkers are terrifying, and he's gone up against them uh, at least one time, maybe a couple of times. I don't remember exactly the different scenes that he was in with them, but um, they're terrifying, and I kind of just figured it was, you know, the stuff of nightmares coming back to haunt him, but I, I kind of like the idea of maybe, you know, it could be affecting him to the point where Perhaps he is turning into a berserker. Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't know what the the criteria is for becoming a berserker (laughs) in in terms of uh, Teen Wolf, but it would be quite interesting. I I don't think immediately, because we've only got a couple of episodes left, I don't think there's enough scope to try and push that through and kind of cover everything off that you would potentially need to right in the episodes that we've got left I think that if that was to happen it may be something that would throw over into next season yeah exactly um because you'd potentially have to introduce the berserkers where they actually come from how you gain control of them how they're created their background you'd also have obviously the thing with Kate would Kate then take control of Liam would yeah there there would be there would be a lot that would need to be either like introduced and covered off to be able to do it this season it could be laying groundwork for for potential future plot lines but personally I think me the way that I was viewing it was specifically that he's terrified of them yeah Abs- he they they are his thing of nightmares right now there's probably a lot that he thinks that even as a werewolf he might be able to handle because there's a more human element to it so in terms of like the assassins and stuff being able to deal with those because they have human faces I think other than having seen the other werewolves when they've transformed, the berserkers are the most unusual and supernaturally out there things that he's seen. And that's probably breaking him a little bit, terrifying him. So I think it's mostly that he's seeing them in terms of they're literally haunting his every waking and sleeping moment. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think almost like the manifestation of his fears. They, right. They've kind of taken on that role in his own head. That's I think that's the way that I'm viewing it. Yeah, me too. And one of the things that I really like about this episode is we have moments where the... I mean, the assassins have gotten close several times, but... Uh, one of the assassins literally had a flame to a gasoline-drenched sky. And, I mean, he was really, really close to to burning him, uh, setting him completely on fire. And so it, this whole episode was very high stakes. And yet 
it had time to slow down once in a while. And like we were saying before, that moment between Mason and Liam where he asks about, you know, there's got to be a boy on on your team that plays for my team. And also another time that the episode slowed down was when we learned about Lydia's family history. And yet another reason why I liked this episode was Lydia was in it more. And because the last few episodes, we had been getting her either in one scene or it was like at the end, you know, something would be revealed. She was away from the plot for quite a bit, which makes a lot of sense because she had to sort of be off on her own and figure things out. But now she was more wrapped up in the main plot and it was really good to have her back. So we learned about Lydia's family history. And before we get into that, because I want to sort of break it down and make sure I understand it. Um, Natalie was asking me how she knew all of that. I had assumed her mom had told her everything about, you know, who Lorraine loved and and all the other stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm not totally sure that her mother would have been like, yeah, she heard, you know, the sounds of a storm in her head. And then there was a storm that killed her. uh, I don't know if they were, well, they wouldn't have been married, I guess. But, you know, her lover, Maddie, and that sort of thing. So... How do you think Lydia got this fairly complete family Uh, history on her grandmother, Lorraine? This is... I don't know. I would like to believe that maybe up until Lydia might have asked her mother for more specifics, that they hadn't necessarily kept every... She hadn't necessarily kept things from Lydia. Because... As we see a little bit further in the episode, uh, Lydia seemed to be quite close with her grandmother because uh, mm-hmm. they used to, well, she used to look after Lydia and they used to be around each other and enough that she was given like a, a a nickname and they had a thing that was all theirs. And so I I would like to believe that even if she didn't know everything in terms of the specifics of of the circumstances surrounding her grandmother losing Maddie and kind of going down that path, I think at least she'd have known the basics so that something had happened between her and this this woman who she loved, which again as we know that Teen Wolf is supposed to be like uh, a show that has no homophobia kind of thing, that that kind of thing would be, I would assume, a very, very open discussion and commonly known and, and accepted. So I think maybe the basics surrounding it were known, but things like going into that much detail I don't know I think maybe Lydia might have asked like we know after last week like she wanted to know more I mean she got the code the written the written down code on on the piece of paper I can imagine Mm -hmm. she would probably be like where does where did this come from when did she leave it what what was this what was the situation that got her into Eichen House. Right, that's exactly what I was going to say. We know that 
Lorraine was in Eichenhaus, so I would imagine to be put in Eichenhaus, she had to have said something pretty crazy. And so yeah. she probably told somebody or several somebodies this entire story and it sort of got back to Lorraine and Lorraine passed it on to Lydia, not thinking it was true, but Lydia knew that it was because she had been going through some of the same things with hearing things in her head. So I think, yeah, I think it's safe to say that maybe some of it was general knowledge that they had talked about before. Some of it was Lorraine sharing information that she had heard previously that maybe she hadn't told Lydia and also Lydia just putting pieces together. I mean, she's obviously a really smart girl. So I think that she could have sort of formed this into a narrative that would have made sense. But what I want to get into is the specifics because we learned a lot about Lydia's grandmother in this episode in pretty much one scene. We find out that her name is Lorraine and, you know, she was definitely a banshee. She heard the sounds of a storm sort of like inside of her head, but outside the windows there were blue skies. And she had this lover named Maddie who uh, used to go out on like a yacht a lot and she used to just be out on the ocean or, or I don't know if it was necessarily, I would assume it was the ocean. I mean, they're in California. Uh, and she was going out on this trip and there were blue skies out there too. So when Lorraine called her to say, Hey, you know, I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. Maddie was like, Oh, it's fine. You know, blue skies, it's not storming. Well, there ended up being a storm and Maddie ended up dying which is horribly tragic. (laughs) Yeah. And then Lorraine, there's not really much to say about that. I mean, it was, it was pretty sad. Uh, Lorraine ended up doing everything she could to learn about her powers, including hiring like parascientists to come in. And it was cool seeing this flashback to her time when, like, you have the scientists coming in with all their big, bulky, like, instruments, and, you know, probably none of them actually worked. Uh, Well, we know none of them worked, because Lorraine did everything she could to learn about her powers, and the only thing that happened was when Lorraine found Meredith, and Meredith was able to, uh, I guess, relay information. I think she wrote the first... Deadpool list. I mean, it was probably not a Deadpool back then, but she was writing in code and that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and this is this is also the point where I started getting suspicious about Meredith because (laughs) in the flashback, she was the same age as she was as we know her. Yeah. In the present time. And I was like, there's something not right. I was like, but why is she? I was like, kind of go, why is she the same age between this scene and how we knew her? Like, why is she not aged? We know she's a banshee, but is that a, is that a part of it? The not aging? Is she still technically alive like i i i don't know i got really 
a lot we don't know, unfortunately. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, honestly, that didn't even occur to me. And I think it was because I was so overwhelmed by all this information we were getting. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, she knew Meredith and she was the one that drew drove Meredith insane, which was I mean, Meredith was already in Eichenhaus because she had been hearing voices, that's where they found her. But mm-hmm. I think she really sort of, you know, she went to her tipping point and she cracked. And uh, that's sort of what happened with Meredith. So I guess that kind of explains, you know, later on what we find out about her. But, um, you know, on the one hand, I really like Lorraine. I like the idea of her. But it's also, and I mean, her story is really tragic, but it's also tragic what she did to Meredith. And the lengths that she went to in order to learn more about her powers. And we don't even know if she did learn all that much. We're not sure. It would be nice if she had left, like, a journal or something for Lydia to go through. Like, of her legacy. And of everything she learned about her powers. But I don't know that she would have. Because I don't know that she fully understood it. Right. So, it would be... I think it would be nice to hope that even if necessarily she didn't understand it, she still made note of everything. And now that Lydia, with her further knowledge of the supernatural, because I don't necessarily believe that maybe Lorraine knew that she was something supernatural. She probably thought it was something, you know, like Parrish has been saying, you know, she was a, a psychic or something that that kind of thing that it was that along those veins rather than an actual supernatural creature from mythology or law so with Lydia's knowledge that 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 kind of exists in the realm of possibility being able to decipher any notes that Lorraine could have left into being something that would work in a supernatural aspect instead so being able to almost translate it back. Right. Yeah, that would be really cool. I would love to see that. Yeah. I mean, that that's in, entirely possible. I want to learn even more about Lydia's grandmother, though, because the whole, like, her being in love with another woman makes me kind of go, well, would, uh, I don't know, was she, like, how 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 Lydia's mum came to be like well her dad because this is on her dad's side oh is it on her dad's side I thought it was on her mum's side no it's it's her father's mother okay okay oh if it only passes down through the females in the family right exactly that's what I'm thinking but you know at the same time the same question is still raised you know if she was with Maddie then how did Lydia's father come to be did she remarry did they I mean obviously they wouldn't have adopted because it had to have been through blood but could they have gotten like you know artificial insemination or something like that yeah I would love to learn yeah I would love to learn more about the Martins I think that's cool yeah I definitely definitely want to just want to know so much more Before we jump back to Lydia, because like I said, she was in quite a bit of this episode, I want to quick touch on something that Scott did. He rushed into his room, pulled out the bag of money, and started counting it. And I got kind of confused. I'm not entirely sure why he did this. I 
I don't know if he was planning on using some and then changed his mind or if he was afraid that it wasn't all there. And I mean, Styles has been pretty adamant about, like, it's a lot of money and some of it's Peter's and we hate Peter. Can't we just take Peter's cut? And I wonder if he, like, doesn't trust Styles, if he was counting it to see if Styles took any. Um, I don't necessarily think that Scott would suspect Styles of doing that. I I do believe that he was counting it because he he didn't necessarily know that it might all, all still be there. But we do know that um, Malia had asked Kira at one point potentially what the guys were were hiding. Didn't she say specifically um, about did she, did she say something about the bag? Yeah, the bag under the bed. Yeah, so she she asked Kira now. Obviously, Kira could very well have said to to Scott, you know, Malia was asking about the bag under the bed. Now, knowing that Malia's been with Peter and how Peter is mm-hmm. so very good at getting in people's heads. <laughs> and he is. He's so good at it. I mean he's he's fantastic of manipulating a situation to how he wants an outcome but you know it could it could have preyed upon that fear that you know if peter got into malia's head enough would malia have broken in and taken the money or would like because it's entirely possible that malia could have slipped and said that there was a big bag of something under scott's bed i mean I don't necessarily think it would go back to Styles. I mean, for the record, I don't want to believe that. <laughs> I I would love to think that Styles and Scott have this sort of relationship where they can literally talk to each other about anything and that if Styles really was thinking about, you know, taking some of that money that he would confront Scott about it, about it and try to convince him of what he wanted to do. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want that to be the case, but I I didn't know why else it would have been happening. And I actually didn't think of Malia at all. So I think that's a really good theory that maybe Peter got into her head and and she could have slipped up. And uh, Scott was just worried that maybe he had gone back for the money because that would make a lot of sense. I mean, it is his money after all. So, I mean, yeah, if I was going to make logical leaps between what could have been going through Scott's head, that that would be the way that I would go. Because obviously we know that Malia hasn't been around them, has been trying to stay away from them, doesn't want to talk about things, doesn't really does not want to necessarily confront it with those guys because they kept it from her. Uh, The only person that we know that she's really been interacting with is Peter because we know that she brushed it off with Styles, like kind of in a I know what I'm doing kind of way can you not and and pushing him away so it's entirely possible that that could have been what was going through his head obviously we don't have enough context but if I was going to make any logical leaps it would be more likely that Scott would be worried that Peter's gotten to Malia in some way and found out about the money than it would and and I don't necessarily think that it is that Peter has found out about it because 
you know, Malia doesn't necessarily know what is in the bag, just right. that they're, they're hiding something. She could very well believe that that's where they were hiding the list. True. You know, but I think it's a fear that would probably prey on Scott's mind that, you know, he's hiding this massive amount of money. Someone's going to come for it. Someone's going to know. Oh, yeah. Instinctly. So I don't necessarily think it was a rational fear. It was it was just something that happened. Like he got an idea in his head and had to check. Right. Exactly. Sure. And he has such a pure heart that yeah. I could see him doing that. I mean, feeling so guilty that he has to keep checking on it. And it's a good way to remind the audience, too, that he still has that under there. So yeah. maybe it'll come up in the next episode. Hopefully. <laughs> now, jumping back to Lydia, uh, we find out that the last cipher key or, well, we thought the last cipher key was the last cipher key. So this is the cipher key to the note that Lydia's grandmother had left her. The key is Ariel, uh, which has to do with uh, Lydia's childhood, um, which probably has to do with Holland's childhood because <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was a very like Holland moment and story uh, because she loves like the little mermaid, right? I'm not yes. just making that up. Okay. Yeah. No, you're not just making that up. She the does. red hair and everything. I mean, it, it totally makes sense. So I, I felt very connected to Holland in that scene, but it was a cute way for her to figure out this cipher key. I mean, that's not an easy one to guess and it was out of line of the other keys as well so that's kind of cool uh and it reveals the list to be one where everyone is already dead they all committed suicide at Eichenhaus, which we come to find out is not entirely the case but uh i didn't catch any other names on the list besides lorraine martin did you see anything that caught your eye no nothing particularly that caught my eye on the list i didn't recognize the the names as anyone that we've like been introduced to in in terms of like other characters that they may be connected to or or anything but again I was watching on my phone so that list was very very small <laughs> for me so I would probably when I get my computer back I will probably go back and watch the episode again but in like a bigger size so that I can actually get a proper look at it but as as far as I could see the only name that really jumped out to me was Lorraine Martins so yeah. Yeah. I mean, if listeners have seen anything else that we haven't, please let us know. I love these lists. I think they're really interesting. I like the idea that there are these names of characters in front of us that we haven't met before. And they're not important right now, but two episodes from now, they could be a huge deal. So oh, yeah. I think that's really cool. But I think it's great. I also really like the idea that I love the idea that there are all of these supernaturals living in Beacon Hills and they've managed to stay under the radar yes. and not make themselves known. And then there's Scott crashing his way through werewolfness, <laughs> just all over the place, talking about it in the middle of school, talking yes. about it everywhere, demons going through the hospital, cannabis oh jumping gosh. everywhere. And kitsunes and berserkers and and suddenly you just I'm just imagining the whole town of Beacon Hills going what are these idiots up to we were living 
peacefully. We were <laughs> doing so good. well before you came along. Like, Scott must just be this bad luck charm or something. I mean, oh. to be fair, like, yes, that's very funny. And I love the idea of that. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they were talking about earlier in the season, Beacon County is a lot bigger than just Beacon yeah. Hills. And I also wonder if some of these people are newcomers, people that had just arrived in Beacon Hills or Beacon County, uh, because of the Nemeton having been drawn there, which I think is a really cool idea that some of these people are, you know, like I said, not important now, but if they're new people coming in, maybe somebody on that list we're seeing now could play a big part in season five, whether it be a new mm. character, like a new ally or a new enemy, who knows? Yeah, that would be really, really interesting. I just got that thought in my head and was just like this is really amusing for me. <laughs> I mean I prefer to think of it that way like Scott just is really bad at being a werewolf and everyone else yeah. is like god somebody just Derek why aren't you helping him more <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I don't necessarily believe that Scott is a bad werewolf right necessarily it's he's just, still learning he's still learning but it's just that kind of <laughs> just kind of thought that there was this whole supernatural underground community <laughs> and they, they're just outing themselves and it's like uh. yeah so speaking of Derek Derek's now off the Deadpool so does yeah. this mean that he's fully human I would imagine that this means that he's fully human or that Meredith may know more than we do because we got the mid-season the mid-season trailer and wasn't it towards the end of that where we've got that scene where Derek is like sat down and against the wall and I think it's in the loft but I'm not I didn't necessarily it didn't last long enough and you've got Brayden there going yes Derek Derek no kind of don't 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 die kind of thing if if she if she potentially knows that maybe it maybe this Derek losing his power doesn't stop with him becoming human if it just keeps going until right until it kills him yeah oh that's interesting I hadn't thought of that yeah yeah so uh, maybe he's off the list because he's fully human Maybe he's off the list because she doesn't need the or I'll get into like my benefactor theories again later on when we get to the the reveal bit, but like potentially Meredith, whether she's working alone or with someone else uh knows more than than we do about what's happening to Derek or has at least a sense of what's happening because. Yeah, that that's kind of a feeling I've been getting is that him losing his powers isn't going to stop with him turning human. It's going to keep going until it completely drains him. And I would love to be proved wrong. Please do. <laughs> Please. We don't want to see Please Derek prove. die. <laughs> yeah. You know, again, as I keep saying, um, he's like the boy who cried dead. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't be a season of Teen Wolf without Derek almost dying. Yes, basically. But I don't I don't want him to die. I don't. Right. But I think that the peril for 
for Derek and, and where our fear might come from in terms of him surviving this is that we still don't know what's happening to him and what's causing him to lose his powers and what Kate has done to him exactly. But I don't think I don't think it's over yet. And I think maybe potentially we could start seeing him getting weaker again from this point. Right. And I mean, all the other times that he's come close to death, he's still been a werewolf with healing abilities. So this is essentially the weakest that he's ever been. I mean, if if he was going to die, I hate saying this, then, you know, now would be the best chance of that happening. But human or human or not, I mean, he's still got that legacy behind him and he's still got that knowledge and he knows so much and we know from uh Lydia having scribbled Styles's name on the list as well that you know it doesn't necessarily mean that him being human means he's off the list completely right yeah that the whole Styles's name on the list thing still very confused about that mm. um which we didn't get a good answer for but uh you know, maybe we will coming, coming up here. Yeah. Um, I have a lot more thoughts about human Derek and I know Natalie definitely wanted to weigh in her thoughts as well, but we'll get to that a little bit later when we can kind of flail about how awesome he is. Uh, first I want to talk about Liam being bumped up from $3 million to $18 million. That's, that's huge. That's, That's a, a mess. Six times. Yeah, I don't necessarily understand where that's coming from and whether that's he's been bumped. I don't think he's been bumped for three to 18 million based on anything he's done so far. Right. I think that the potential for what he's been bumped up for is something that could could be happening in the next three episodes and yes whether that plays back into the idea that maybe if he is turning into a berserker that could be why he's worth more or he's going to do something in the next three episodes that would warrant a bump up from three million to 18 million because we have to remember that the person who's now we know potentially that a person who's involved in making this list is a banshee and we know a little bit more about Meredith's powers and that she can control people at least it sounded like and it's entirely possible that other than predicting death she could predict outcomes and future possibilities so I I would honestly think that with this it's not based on something Liam has done because we know that at the moment he's still struggling he's still not fully into his powers he's still not entirely kind of at, at at his full strength potentially he's not in full control of what he's doing so I think it could be based on something that we may see coming up so his potential for what he could do rather than what he's done so far. Because I think the most action we've seen him getting is in that fight with uh, 
Kira on the hospital roof with the berserkers. Which basically didn't do anything anyway. <laughs> yeah, so that wouldn't I that wouldn't warrant that much of a a bump up in terms of his mm-hmm. his price on on the Deadpool. Um, yeah. So yeah. My theory is that I I mean I think that's totally plausible and now that we know that even years and years ago when Lorraine said, you know, don't hurt Ariel, she knew far in advance what was going to happen. It wasn't just yeah. like imminent events. It was way in the future that she could predict these things. So the fact that maybe Meredith has the same ability completely makes sense. I love that theory. On the flip side of that, I have another theory, and Mm. I think that what could possibly be going on here is the fact that Liam is Scott's beta, and so he essentially automatically becomes more dangerous because of that, because Scott is a true alpha, he is worth $25 million, the fact that he has a beta makes him stronger. If they kill Liam, we know that killing that losing somebody out of your pack is like losing a limb. It's going to make you weaker. It's going to kind of like mess with your head. And so I'm sort of wondering if he's been bumped up to get people to go after him to weaken Scott. That's also a very, very good theory. I like that one as well. That, yeah, I can see that. Oh, I like both theories. Man. <laughs> I know. Can they both both be true? true? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Brain twins. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll have to see, I guess. Uh, so the the main part of this episode was sort of centered around this big bonfire that was going down outside of the school, which is really questionable. I don't really want to get into it. And the fact that people knew that these kids were drinking, I mean, whatever, Teen Wolf has always been really realistic about the fact that teens drink and parents and adults can't always stop them. So I think that's sort of beside the point. But what I want to talk about is the fact that this music was making Liam, Leah, and Scott act like they were drunk. And I saw a lot of people looking at the promos being like, oh my God, you know, are they drinking a special kind of Wolfsbane that makes them drunk? And this has been a fan theory and used in fan fiction for a really long time. So I want to know, were you disappointed that that wasn't the case? Um, no, I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was very clever that, in the background of that music, it sounded like, you know, the, the, like, um, the relay things that they were putting down in the, um, episode where they were, like, herding Boyd and Cora, you know, like, the little, yep, um, when he was moving some of the stuff, it sounded like the, the noise that those emitted, if you listen closely, so I think it was a, it was a throwback to that kind of thing. So it was pulling on something that we'd already been introduced to and already knew and were familiar with, but using it in a different way through music and hiding it through the music. Because I don't think it was necessarily the song. I think it was a high-frequency track that was playing, like either underneath it kind of thing because as you got like further away 
all you could hear was the music. When they focused in on the DJ, you could hear that high-frequency sound. So um, I would love to see a kind of Wolfsbane like variation of alcohol coming in. However, I don't think it necessarily would have fit in at this point because I think, again, the people who were doing this may have been maybe not assassins in the same way the others were organized and that kind of thing. Right. So that they may not have been fully aware of everything. So being able and being able to find that kind of brand of Wolf Spain and knowing exactly what it would do. Yeah. I mean, why would like if if they were using Wolf Spain and getting it into the drinks, why would they necessarily get one that would just incapacitate them? Why not use a brand that if they ingested it would kill them? Right. And we know that that type of wolf spain exists. So I I actually never thought that was the case here because Malia was drinking out of like a flask and Liam was drinking out of a bottle and it was very clearly like not the same thing. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think somebody is spiking both of their things. And of course, as we went through the episode, we knew that Scott hadn't been drinking anything and yet we knew from the promos that he was still going to be affected. So I initially thought it was like something in the air that like they were pumping out sort of like what happened in the club scene in the, uh, the premiere episode, episode one, how they sort of like put out the smoke and it had been laced with Wolf Spain. I thought something yeah. similar was going on there, but like you said, I really liked the idea of the music being a part of it. And we knew that, like, this evil DJ was going to come in and stuff. So I think uh, just the fact that it was something a little more out in left field was actually really nice and refreshing because it wasn't just the same old stuff. That being said, yeah, I want to see <laughs> the kids be able to get drunk. <laughs> I think that would be kind of cool. Think, I think it would be cool, but I think in, like, a future episode. And uh, I would love to see something like... Um, Satomi maybe coming in in season five and giving them slightly more knowledge on on what being a werewolf is and what can affect them and what can't affect them and and just not necessarily becoming an alpha to an alpha or an alpha to Derek but at least guiding them and teaching them a little bit more because you know they don't ha- they don't have that figure that knowledgeable figure and she's she's been a werewolf for a very very long time so i would like to see a lot of knowledge being able to come from her in uh in season 5 which could potentially lead to something like is there a non-lethal strain of wolfsbane that they could spike um alcohol with to make it effective even temporarily for werewolves or you know, a, a lot of she's got to have some kind of tea that that'll have that effect on them. Yeah. So, you know, she's she's got a lot of knowledge of stuff. So that could be that could very easily be something that could play into future episodes if they wanted to take it that way. And they do have a character 
with more werewolf knowledge, who's been a werewolf for a long time, that that could come from feasibly. I mean, I could honest, I could believe that Peter would know whether or not <laughs> it was it was possible. However, do I believe that he would share it with the kids unless there was a potential for him uh, to, to get gain. something out of the yeah to gain something out of the yep. situation, like getting Scott drunk to be able to get the advantage over him? Oh man, yeah, you know, I could totally um, see that if he could manipulate the situation in in that regard. Then yes, I could see someone like Peter being able to like give them that knowledge, but only if he could use it to to his advantage. Right, exactly. Well, I kind of hope that it's Satomi because I really love Satomi uh, as a character in general, and she was so good the last time we saw yeah. her. So yeah, I really love to see her come in and lay some knowledge, even on Derek. You know, Derek doesn't necessarily know everything, and, and she's been around a lot longer than he has. So I would like to see him learning from her and then, you know, the other kids in turn, either learning from him or learning from her too. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, they've got a couple of ways that they could take that storyline. And it's really right. exciting. And we know that, that Jeff really, really likes the actress and the character. So I hope that means there's a lot more potential for her to return. So Please don't kill her. <laughs> I think because we know as well that from a couple of the uh, episode synopses that um, she features quite heavily in them and the remainder of her pack mm-hmm. and protecting them. Um, that I don't necessarily believe that they'll kill her off. Let's hope not. Yeah, hopefully not. (laughs) Now, uh, something kind of funny happened on Twitter, and this was our friend Ev uh, at Defining Random tweeted at me, couple other people and said how you know last night was teen wolf night and she has a picture of brooke who tweeted like key smashy letters of me in all caps going yes and of our friend madge underscore unforgiven who just said no 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 (laughs) and i know exactly when that was and that was when brunsky uh turned out to be evil i mean nobody was surprised I, at that moment, thought that he was the benefactor, and I was just really happy uh, because I wanted him to be, like, the worst thing that had ever come across Teen Wolf because he's a terrible human being, but it turns out that he was just, you know, another one of those Umbridge characters where he was just a really bad person. Uh, nobody was surprised, but no. uh, were you surprised to learn that he didn't end up being the benefactor? Because I really thought um, he was for a couple of minutes there. I I, I thought he was our red herring. Um, so I thought it was this slightly, it's slightly, I thought it was slightly too early in the episode to get that as a reveal. Because I thought, I, I honestly thought that when we were going to see it, we would see it in the dying seconds. So when we got more Brunsky, I was like, okay, it's not going to be him. I didn't necessarily know who we were going to get as our reveal. <laughs> I will say that much. You applied too much logic to this. I was just like, oh my god, it's Brunsky, and I was flailing and yeah. Um, as as someone who's very very interested in the the pre production of uh shows and scripting and writing scripts, 
I I put in way too much thought of um and and a lot of my friends who watch films and TV series and and stuff will attest to is that for especially during university when I was still very very much involved in uh, creating stories and and animations is that I think like a writer so I kind of stop and I kind of go okay if I was writing this at what point would I do the reveal at what point would I throw in red herring if um if I wanted to lead someone down a certain path at what point would I start introducing in the earlier stages of the episode something I want them to pick up on later so things like noticing Meredith was the same age uh, across those scenes and noticing that Brunsky came in a little bit too early to be revealed as the benefactor is just uh, one of those things where I'm like I'm thinking right if if this was me where would I put this where would I put this information so yeah I think a, very very logically about it I pick up on um, storylines very very quickly but that that's just I think that's just uh, based on having studied media since like I did it through college and I did it through university as well so yeah well I didn't pick up on it and I was really surprised which yeah I mean is totally fine obviously what they were going for but uh I I like the fact that he was a red herring though because I think that made the reveal at the end even like that more shocking because you did believe okay, he was the benefactor, and then all of a sudden he's shot, and you're like, wait a second, is that it? And then, no, I mean, Meredith comes out later, and and it's all very surprising. But uh, before all of that happens, we have Brunsky being a jerk, as usual, and he has Lydia and Styles tied up, and he makes Lydia listen to her grandmother's final moments. I mean, this guy... Uh, wasn't just mean. I mean, he was disgusting to do that to somebody else. I mean, to kill somebody is obviously, you know, not anything to bat your eyes at. But at the same time, the fact that he was sort of torturing Lydia before he ended up uh, killing, trying to kill her is something, you know, completely different. I mean, that's a whole nother ball game. And we have uh, a Tumblr post from F. Wolfling, and we can link this in the show notes, but it's of this scene where Styles says, Lydia, look at me, don't listen to what he's playing, and he yells and he tells uh, Brunsky to turn it off. And uh, this person, F. Wolfling, says, It occurred to me when I was watching the ep that Styles knows what it's like to listen to a family member die because he was there when his mom died, and this scene just got even more heartbreaking. And uh, so, yes, thank you very much for pointing this out. Uh, I don't remember who ended up posting it in our little group chat. but you- It was Brooke. Okay, well, of course it was Brooke. <laughs> Everything terrible comes from Brooke. And we love her, though. <laughs> we do. We love Brooke so much, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it basically broke all of us, and it was horrifying. So thank you, F. Wolfling, for that. It was very mean, but, you know, also very true. I mean, that yeah. uh, it was very sad, but very, very true. 
Um, the other thing that I found very interesting about Brunsky was, um, and this is the thing that you get with villains who are really, really well thought out, is that a really good villain will always see themselves as the hero in their own story. Mm-hmm. So for him, he wasn't necessarily seeing himself as a killer or a murderer or or whatever. He was seeing himself as someone who was bringing these people peace and releasing them from, you know, the the suffering that that he believed that they were going through. Right. Not necessarily that they were actually going through and and that he believed so wholeheartedly in this that he had made himself think this that makes such a compelling and interesting villain. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's funny. I mean, we always joke about how I pick the crazy people to like, and believe it or not, I liked Brunsky in terms of the fact that I hated him so much because I mean, he was a fantastic character. You just looked at him and you wanted to punch him in the face. I mean, that is a well-written villain or antagonist. I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily call him a villain villain because he wasn't necessarily one of the bigger ones here, but he was against our heroes. He was definitely an antagonist. And, you know, I'm kind of sad that he's dead because I wanted more time to hate him. I mean, I wanted him dead, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh, you know, he was just somebody to give more conflict to the story and I liked seeing our heroes get one up on him like when Parrish uh, blackmailed him that sort of thing yes. but uh, you know another thing I wanted to say about him and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of this but maybe not everybody is is that uh, he was described as an angel of death and I mean that's a very real thing that's a, a type of serial killer that goes around and you know, relieves people of their pain by killing them. And it's, it's definitely very wrong. I mean, it's still murder, but like you said, they kind of paint themselves as the heroes of their own story, except they don't necessarily ask for permission to kill these people, to put them out of their misery. They just do it anyway. They take that, that out of their hands. And so I just kind of liked that he ended up being, that kind of character that was uh, very real, that he wasn't necessarily a professional assassin like some of these other people were, but he was a a serial killer and he had more of a backstory than just somebody who came in and and was like, yeah, I'm just going to, I found these papers and I'm just going to kill you now. Like he actually had motive and an MO and something that he had been doing for quite a long time. I mean, he killed Lorraine Martin, so it had been years and years. Yeah, you've got to think as well, is that the only people that we're aware of that he has killed are the people that were on that list. Right. Now, it's entirely possible that there have been a lot more people from that point on. It also makes me wonder if that person who died at the start of the uh, Echo House Eichenhaus episode in uh, 3B (gasps) was not a manipulation of of his like maybe he forced that oh my gosh I didn't even think about that but that's 
obviously a great theory. Wow. Mind blown. <laughs> I like it. I'm, I'm keeping that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> like it, even if we never find out whether that is something that was going through their heads, if they knew that this was the way that they were going with Brunsky's mm-hmm. character. I plausible, would, though. I would like to think that that would be a plausible link back to another episode earlier in the season. Because we don't find out the circumstances around that. All we know is that they end up hanging themselves from, like, the top of uh, one of the staircases, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's entirely possible that even if he didn't, if, yeah, if he wasn't the person who actually maybe put it around his neck and pushed pushed them over, that he could have very plausibly pushed them and manipulated them emotionally to that point. Right, exactly. Ugh. Ugh. (laughs) Um, Yeah, very, very good point. (laughs) Moving on from, like, all the sad bits, uh, let's talk about all the people that saved the day and sort of wrap up this episode, because, uh, first of all, we have Mason, who uh, we just all, I think pretty collectively all really love Mason. He's trying out to be fantastic character. He's still got a fairly small part. He's not in the know yet, but he's Liam's best friend. And um, Natalie pointed this out to me too. And I remember thinking the same thing she did, but when he asked what was wrong with Liam, he said, you know, I'm not quoting this directly, but he said something akin to, I'm not asking because I want to know. I'm asking because I want to help. And that, (laughs) exactly, that is the mark of a really, really good friend. A lot of people just want, you know, they ask superficially. They just want the gossip. And he, he's not like that. He really, really cares about Liam. He knows something's going on. He's hurt that Liam isn't telling him anything. I mean, he keeps bringing it up and yet he still wants to know in order to help him. And it was just great. Do you know who he deserves? He deserves a Danny. (laughs) I'm wondering if they might be leading in that direction. I mean, he wants somebody from the lacrosse team, so... Yeah, that was my thing that I wanted to bring up. I'm like, <laughs> hey, look, it's it's perfectly plausible that they could... And and we know for a fact that Danny doesn't necessarily want to be with someone who is a supernatural creature. Mason is human, mm-hmm. so that's good. He's not currently in the know, but if they if he becomes in the know... It's very entirely possible that both of them could end up dragged into the situation a little bit more, whether or not they're thrown into the the course of things in the same way that maybe Styles is as a human, or whether they help out on the sidelines a bit more. Because obviously Danny has a massive skill set that was set up across uh, season one and season two that could be that could have been utilized before now. Right, like, I'm exactly. just thinking, if, if only they'd gone to Danny. <laughs> if, yes. only, if only they knew that Danny knew, they could have gone to him and they could have <laughs> gotten him to hack into the the, the hit list and uh, gotten him to be like, look, guys, it's originating here. <laughs> oh, man. Let's... There's no fun in that, though, Danya. Come on. Look, I just want Danny to come in and save the day. I'm not even going to front about that. But well, no, it's... I, maybe I would, he will. I would like 
for it to be leading in that direction. I would like to see Danny back. I would like to see him and potentially Mason, whether or not it becomes a a fully fledged relationship that um, he has something healthier, like for Danny he has something healthier than that one guy that like that ex-boyfriend he's been hooking up with since season one (laughs) yeah on and off yeah (laughs) strange places (laughs) yeah very true i would i would like it to see it go in that direction they've laid the groundwork for that to be a possible way for it to go so yeah i really want it like you know, Mason's a hero. He deserves a happy. Danny's happy. Let's give lights. Yeah, give them I mean, another. Mason really <laughs> did save the day because he ended up pulling the plug on the music uh, when Scott couldn't do it because he was so out of it. And the best thing about this is the fact that Mason had no idea why he was doing it. He doesn't know what's going on. All he knows is that the music was affecting Liam and Malia and Scott and he had to, to help. And so he did. And it was great. I love that. I also, while, um, while I was able to get on Tumblr earlier, which I have had like a very limited sliver of internet all day today. So I have literally the only posts that I've seen is that one that Brooke linked us to, which was about the scene where, you know, <laughs> Styles heard his mother dying, Lydia hearing a girl. Oh, that. Thanks, Brooke. Um that that's one of the Tumblr posts I seen today. The other one that I saw today was a um it was a text post but it had a gif in it. And it was basically saying, um one thing Scott didn't learn from uh, Derek is how to drop the beat. And it's Derek <laughs> flipping over the, the DJ table from three feet. Oh, my God. I saw that, too. And I just started cackling. I it was so don't, good. I don't because obviously I don't have my computer right now. And I would love to be able to credit the person who did that. And I'm so sorry that I don't know who did that post. I literally only saw it in passing. But if that was you and you are listening to the podcast, kudos. Because on to, on the top of a very, very terrible day that I've had with technology, um, that made it. I was cracking up so hard at that post. So thank you very much for that. I actually got it right here. Uh, you? Yeah, alphabadass.tumblr.com. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Alpha Badass. It was beautiful. (laughs) It was. It was great. I just, I was laughing about that for longer than I probably should have. So, I really loved it. Somebody else who saves the day, Derek and Brayden, which was really good. Natalie pointed out that human Derek is so good at fighting because he can't just rely on his brute strength. He actually has to work with, you know, what what he has using other people's motion against them and that sort of thing. I mean, people have been remarking for a little while now, oh, he becomes human and now suddenly he's winning fights and uh, which is really funny. But I mean, I could talk about human Derek all day. Natalie is of the opinion that she does not want Derek to turn back into a werewolf, which would be really, really interesting. 
I don't know entirely how I feel about it because being a werewolf is so tied to his identity, but at the same time, I feel like we're finally getting his personality now and that maybe losing everything pretty much will turn him into somebody we like even more than the Derek we liked before. So yeah, I, I, I don't know what I want. I want him to get his powers back. I I think that is, it's it's his heritage, it's his identity. I think it's his last link back to his family. So I think that I wouldn't want him to lose that entirely forever. I would like to see him get that back. However, I do like what being human is teaching Derek. So I think that the lessons that he's learning as he's been losing his powers, the things that he's coming to a realization about, I think that's going to be very important and will play into what kind of werewolf he will be going forward if and when he gets them back. So things like learning how to fight with the resources he has and not relying too heavily on one thing or another, that will probably make him someone who's better at fighting because like you said he relies on brute strength quite a lot when he's fighting or when he's been fighting up until this point but being guided in a different direction I think that's that's going to be very important for him to take back as well yeah so I, I have a lot of feelings about Derek's werewolf identity and how I feel about that but I do I do honestly believe that him losing his powers this season, as horrible as it's been, is really good for his character in terms of teaching him more about himself. Oh, yeah, definitely. I 100% agree with that because Derek's never been human before. It's not like he was a bitten werewolf and he could revert back to the person he was before. This is a completely new experience for him. And I love what you are saying about him taking the lessons that he learns here and applying them to the future when hopefully he does get his powers back. I would I would really be into that. Yeah, I would as well. I would like to see a lot more of this Derek that we've gotten. This very chill, very sassy, then very sassy, very, very aware of himself. I think yeah. that's the thing that him being human has has kind of given him the most is that he's very aware of his limitations right now. So knowing those limitations you know, human or not, some of his emotional limitations and some of his physical limitations, they're, they're just coming in more into focus for him as he loses his powers. But they're still the same kind of limitations he should have when he has his powers. You know, he's, when he had his full, like, werewolf kind of strengths and, and everything, I think he was less... He was less aware of it because he didn't feel like he needed to care about it because, you know, if he didn't bother to be uh, kind of careful with himself in terms of when he's fighting, like, oh, if I take a really bad hit, it doesn't matter. I'll heal eventually. Kind right. Of thing. He definitely took it for granted. Yeah, he absolutely did. But then 
that's not necessarily his fault because it's all that he's ever known. Yeah. So he's never been anything different. And now that he's been something different, now that he's had to learn these limitations, I think it's not going to be something that's going to go away. Exactly. And, um, you know, speaking of limitations, or I guess the opposite of it, one of my favorite moments in the entire episode was when Parrish saves the day because Brunsky was like, oh, you're just a kid. You're not going to shoot me. And he goes and he tries to kill Lydia and Parrish shoots him. I mean, he has no problem doing that because he was saving somebody else's life. And I love how Brunsky didn't give him the time of day and Parrish just threw it in his face. And it was, it was a great moment. Yeah. I, I really liked that moment. I think where uh, it may have consequences because as we've seen with agent McCall shooting someone, even in the respect that it's going to be protecting someone else isn't taken lightly you know um obviously agent mccall had to give up his service weapon and he's gone back and he has to go under investigation for why he used that amount of of brute force why he essentially executed someone regardless of what they were going to do and i think it's something that should it, it should be something that he goes through as well regardless of whether like regardless of whether it's an assassin regardless of whether it's Brunsky or a villain or an antagonist if you are in that kind of um elevated status in terms of you are and you are upholding the law you, it doesn't mean you're above it so therefore if you do something like that and this is such a this is a commentary on what what's going on right now in in the world as well and this is my thoughts on it. And you can take this as, as whatever commentary you want to think I'm making on this. It's, it's probably entirely true. If you are an, a member of law enforcement, you are not above the law. You are upholding it and you are still held to the same values and the same ideals that every other person on this earth is. So if you kill someone, you should still fall under the same rules as anyone else who has killed anyone so for example in terms of parish i don't think he should be treated any differently from agent mccall in that he should have his service weapon taken away and he should be put under investigation just until they find out whether it was necessary for her views that for using that kind of force to save someone else and that's my two cents <laughs> I don't really have anything to add to that because I definitely agree. And I think, you know, all in all, uh, the main point here is that uh, Brunsky is gone and Lydia is safe. That is definitely an important point. And uh, this is when we find out that Meredith is the benefactor. Or is she? So, really quick, last thoughts on this. Do you think Meredith is actually the benefactor, or do you think she's working with or for somebody else? I don't necessarily believe and haven't for a couple of episodes that the benefactor is one person. Hmm. I think it may, I think 
it may be a group of people working together. Ooh. And they use, like, I don't necessarily think, because the, the, the thing of it is, is that they needed visual confirmation. So the person who was the other side of that computer needed visual confirmation to to say that 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 person has been killed. Now, I don't know that every single list goes back to the same person. Do the separate lists go back to different people? Right. Is if it's a group of people working as the benefactor, you know, because I'd have to go back and rewatch some of the episodes, but some of the lists required a visual confirmation, but I'd need to split it off into which lists asked for it and which ones didn't. Because I think it was like, because it's been split into three parts. So I think it, honestly, I think it may be a group of people or at least two people. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that. <sighs> no, I don't think Meredith <laughs> is the benefactor on her own. I think but... that's fair enough because I feel like she is definitely not all there and for her to put together this entire scheme seems like a bit much. I mean, maybe maybe there's more to her story that we don't know yet. That's totally a possibility, yeah. and I would definitely give her the benefit of the doubt uh, because we don't know everything about what she's been through yet and, and her exact state of mind. I mean, she could have been acting this whole time the other thing is i keep thinking about the dude in the shoes from one of the earlier episodes oh in the hail vault yeah and i mean that doesn't necessarily mean anything it could have been another assassin it could have just been the person that meredith sent to get the money who knows but it bothers me and i think that you know, some things just aren't perfectly aligned. And when that happens, we definitely have to see, okay, is there a bigger picture here? Is there something else going on? Because this was episode nine. We've got three more episodes left of the season. And we know that they like big reveals in episode nine, but that they're not opposed to changing it up, you know, an episode or two before the season ends so who knows we could be getting another huge surprise yeah i i think that's entirely possible so um yeah i think personally the way that i'm seeing it is that i think like i was just thinking on it a little bit more then the visual confirmation comes through but as the final verification like kind of it's like think of it like two-step verification for if you've got a password on an email account to be able to get into your account sometimes you can set up something known as two-point verification or two-step verification you have to put in your password then you have to put in either a code or an answer to a security question after that right and it's like extra security to make sure that's that Nobody either gets to your stuff or something is done right. So it could be the visual confirmation coming from the assassin to you is like your password. That is your first step. That is your, hey, I've done this. This is me proving it. And then 
whoever it is who's fully behind this is using Meredith as a is this genuinely the body of this person or is this them trying to pull one over on us to get the money right yeah I like that so I think there's still someone else that is there's an unknown factor and I honestly believe that I honestly believe that there is still someone else behind this and Meredith isn't necessarily the mastermind behind it but she's definitely a huge part and has been like maybe she's being manipulated maybe she's being guided into doing it and using her powers against someone I don't I don't think that that scene that we had between her and Lydia where she was going he won't like that he doesn't want me to tell you I think that's still a very genuine reaction and I think we've still got more to come. I think they're going to surprise us again yet. So I hope so. I like it when I'm surprised. Yeah, it same. doesn't always happen in television shows, but um, Teen Wolf does it pretty well. And uh, yeah, I'll definitely be looking forward to that. Now, before we completely wrap up the episode, we have one bit of feedback. This, I am assuming, is from Tumblr, and it's from Stupefying Gravity. And they say, hi, I know this might sound like a stupid question, but why did Lydia write Styles' name? And why did Brunsky say about the tapes right after it was it related or something? Did Lydia write his name maybe because of what happened in season 3B? Um, now, I usually try to watch the episodes twice before we record because the first time when I'm watching, I have to do a live recap for Hypable and I tend to miss some things if I'm typing or, you know, I'm just generally distracted. Did not get to watch this episode twice, so I actually don't know the answers to any of this, uh, and I think I completely missed the part about Brunsky saying something about the tapes, so... I know, Danya, you didn't exactly have the best watching experience no, either, but... Um, I didn't, I don't necessarily know why Styles' name is on the paper. I think that could be something, it could have been because of the imminent danger that they were going to go into. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very plausible that that could be the reason why his name ended up on the, on the list, is... Not necessarily that he was going to die, but that he could be in very imminent danger of dying. So Almost it, like Lydia warning both him and herself by writing his name down. Yeah, and not necessarily understanding what it meant. So that that could very possibly be what that was. We could be proved wrong. I mean, we've still got more episodes left that could come into play in the next couple of episodes. And they've been very, very good about bringing stuff up this season and answering them a couple of questions later. So I have faith that if it isn't what I'm thinking it might be, that it's going to be answered anyway. But as for the tapes, uh, if they mean, obviously, the tape that Brunsky had... Obviously, I think the implication was initially when they were in the office, when Brunsky flips the tape around. Obviously, Styles is aware that the assassins have, uh, or there have been tapes given out to the assassins to listen to that gave them certain instructions. So flipping the tape around could have been a throwback to that initially. 
then obviously we find out a little bit later that one of the tapes that he has is actually a recording that he's presumably made of him killing Lydia's grandmother. That and it's a thing that's haunted him for years and years and years and years. I would imagine that he knows that Lydia's a banshee from Meredith and that she could potentially have figured out exactly what was going on in that tape or figured it out or knew more about it. So I don't know if that's about, if that's what it's about. Yeah. I I think like the thing about the tapes was that he had that tape and he was going to make Lydia listen to it so that she could answer the question that had been bothering him for so long. Yeah. And I, I don't know whether that's because he knew that Lydia was related to Lorraine Martin. I don't know that he knows that they're related because I don't know that he knows Lydia's surname. But I do believe that he knows that she's a banshee and that she could potentially use her powers to answer that question for him. So it could have gone either way, whether he knew who Lydia was or not. I think he did know who Lydia was. I think that everything that he did with that tape was very purposeful and very sick and disgusting. So, yeah, yeah, it's I don't know. Hopefully that answered your question. If not, uh, maybe some of our listeners can help us out. I'm really excited, actually, to watch this episode again and, and see what other stuff that I pick up on this time. But um, you know, finishing off the episode, I'm throwing the non sequitur question to Danya this week. Yes, I wanted to know, do you have any scars? And if you do, do you have any interesting, like, do you have an interesting story for how you got it? Yes, I actually have two. Um, I mean, I have more than just two scars, I'm sure, because I'm a klutz and I run into things and they tend to leave scars. But um, two actual, like, legitimate scars that have interesting stories. The first one is uh, between my eyes on my forehead, I have this kind of, like, dent (laughs) in in my forehead. And that was from when I was little and I ran into a hinge I don't even know if I was uh, properly walking yet, but I ran into a hinge on a door and uh, it left like this little dent in my forehead. So that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one is I have this big scar on my leg and uh, it's on my right knee, the inside of my right knee. And when I was 10 years old, I climbed a tree and the tree was dead which is not smart, don't do that kids, because what happened was the branch underneath me broke, I fell down, thankfully not far enough to break something, but as I was coming down, the branch that I had been standing on, uh, the, what was left of it, the jagged part, cut me in my knee, um, and it was about an inch to two inches long and about an inch deep, and and Ouch. I could see inside my leg. And this is when I, like, still wanted to be a doctor, so I was fascinated by this. <laughs> and um, I screamed really loud and ran across the yard so fast that I did not leave a trail of blood anywhere. And I ended up, I was at my dad's house, and I was screaming, and he came out as soon as I landed on the porch. 
And I told him what happened and he called 911 and I was laying there and um, somebody else was with me and they were like holding, I think it was just like a washcloth to my knee. And I was really worried that I had to get stitches. I was like, please don't, I don't want to be like sewn up. This is so horrible. And they're like, yeah, you're going to have to get stitches. And that sucked. Um, my dad forgot my birthday when he was talking to 911 and I was very upset <laughs> with him for that. And he was like, I was under a little bit of stress. Okay, you can't blame me for this. But every once in a while, I bring it up again, make him feel really bad. <laughs> and we went to the hospital and I was in room 10. See, this is really significant because I was 10 years old. I was in room 10 and the doctor thought I was going to need 10 stitches. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Well, I ended up getting 11 stitches, and it ruined the entire thing. Uh -huh. um, I they, This is a very long story. I'm sorry. But okay. I, I, I feel like it's interesting. Um, they tried to, like, inject me with um, – do you use Novocaine, right? Like, that's not just for when you I, go to the dentist. <laughs> I know what Novocaine is okay well like they numbed me they tried to numb me but when he first started stitching me up I still felt it <gasps> which was kind of terrifying but then afterwards it settled down and I really wanted to watch him sew my leg up and and he wouldn't let me my dad like pushed me back down <laughs> and I was really disappointed like I said I wanted to be a doctor uh before they actually stitched me up I was in the waiting room on a, or not the waiting room, but like in the room waiting on a board with my head strapped down because they didn't know if I had damaged anything else, which I didn't, by the way. My butt started going numb, so I begged them to let me get off of the board and unstrap me. And so they finally did that. Five hours between when I went to the hospital, when I actually got there, and when they started sewing me up because... The guy in the next room had been brutally assaulted and they were stitching his face back on. <sighs> so I felt a little bit better about my situation. <laughs> <laughs> and on my way home, dad got me McDonald's. So I was really happy. And uh, I went to school the next day with this huge bandage on my leg. This was in like fifth grade and everybody wanted to know what happened. And I was super embarrassed. Um, but it was like summer, so or like fall, like early school year, and I I was wearing shorts. I didn't want to wear pants, and so everybody kept asking me what happened. And it was very embarrassing. But yeah, that was my very very long story. <laughs> That's fine. I like I like hearing stuff like that. I think it's really interesting. Here's the here's the thing though. What if you got a McDonald's, did you get a Happy Meal? And if so, can you remember what toy you got? <laughs> um, gosh, did I get a ha I, I think I remember getting chicken nuggets. So <laughs> I don't think it was like a Happy Meal. I think I just got like, you know, 10-piece chicken McNuggets or something like that. I still get Happy Meals now. <laughs> not even, not even kidding. Because sometimes the toys are really cool, okay? I, I like the taste of, like, the chopped onions and the pickle on the burger. I don't know. It just... Whenever I uh, order the burger, I order it without pickles. Ah, so. uh, blasphemy. You're unless, so weird. Unless I'm with someone who likes pickles, in which case I order it with a pickle, and then I let them take the pickle. 
that would be okay with me. Important question for our listeners. Let me know if you do or do not know what bread and pu- bread and butter pickles are. This is a very important question because we had to explain this to Natalie. And um, I will was... stand up for Natalie here. I had no idea what they were. Oh, I'm and not when... surprised. I'm oh. just uh, because I, I think maybe it's like an American thing. It's but totally an American thing. Yeah. Um, for the record, I think they're absolutely disgusting and they shouldn't exist anyway. But I'm really curious to know if people know what bread and butter pickles are. I wasn't picking on Natalie. I was no. just saying she didn't know what they were. I want to know how many other people don't know what they are and where you guys are from. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What scar story do you have? I also have one in the middle of my forehead so um but the thing is is that I have obviously my blunt fringe cut across most of the time so you can't see it unless you're really really close up because it's I got it when I was three so I was very 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 young when I got that scar and basically um when I was younger my grandparents used to look after me and um like I would stay a lot of weekends with them and they used to take me into Slashley which is the closest uh it was the closest town to where they were because they lived in a village like right in the middle of nowhere and in Slashley there was a little um it's a little child child's play area type thing called Die Dragons which is the Welshest thing it's still I think it's still there but Die Dragons was basically, um, it had like ball pits and uh, like like a bridge over the ball pits and loads of foam things and things to climb and like loads and loads of fun activity things. And we used to go there quite a lot. So my my grandparents took me there the one day and we'd we'd go and I'd play for a little bit and they'd let me like tire myself out and take me home to go to sleep and the one time I was um going to cross over it was like a little wooden rope bridge thing that they did and it swings back and forth and I was walking across it to get to this other little bit of the play area and this little boy starts walking in in the other direction towards me and there's enough space for us both on this bridge okay we're not we were both very very tiny but we meet each other in the middle and I move to like move one side and he goes to the he he goes no you have to no go back and I'm like I'm going no (laughs) (laughs) no so he scratched me across my face uh because I wouldn't move I wouldn't go back on the bridge so I wouldn't go back so that he could walk all the way across and then I would go all the way across the bridge that was more than enough space for us both so basically he scratched me and he had like quite long nails like very very sharp so he scratched me and it gouged like a bit out of my forehead and like I got told this story so many times by my grandmother that I didn't cry. I didn't do anything. I just pushed him and he <laughs> fell and got his leg caught between the slats of uh, two of the the um, wooden 
things on the bridge. So he, he got trapped there. I just walked past him completely unconcerned, went to the other <laughs> side, came down, went to my grandmother and uh, was just like, just stood there uh, with blood like all over my face going, he scratched me. <laughs> and uh asking for a tissue like that's it that's all i asked for he scratched me have a tissue i'm bleeding (laughs) i'm just imagining like little danya and i really like it i i I actually have photographs of little danya if you want a photograph of little danya at some point i do i I definitely do i can provide you with a with a photograph of little danya but yes um the funny part is that they couldn't actually get his leg out from between the slats they had to call the fire brigade in and uh to get him out of the bridge because i got him stuck wow so so don't scratch me in the face guys yeah i i actually hurt somebody um on accident like right below their eye i scratched them because i threw a goku action figurine at their face and you know how he has spiky hair? Yes. Um, it, like, scratched them under the eye, and I think he oh, still God. has a scar. <laughs> that was, like, years and years and years and years ago. Yes. Actually, the same kid that was with me when I fell out of the tree, because um, it was at my dad's house, and he was the next-door neighbor. And, yeah, I, I, like, ran away and felt really bad, but, like, I was afraid of getting in trouble, so I ran away, and they, like, came, knocked on my door, and was like, um, yeah, you need to apologize to him. And I felt really bad and guilty. But anyway, enough reliving the past. We've been going for quite a while. Sorry, guys. Hopefully you (laughs) found that interesting. We have Teen Wolf Season 4, Episode 10, Monstrous, which will air this Sunday, August 24th at 7 p.m. It's ahead of the VMA, so it's, it's airing a day before it usually does. If you guys can't watch it then, it will be airing on Monday, August 25th at 10 p.m., normal time and everything. But if you can, catch it a day earlier because that's Teen Wolf a whole day and three hours earlier, which is amazing. And the synopsis here is Scott and Kira must protect Satomi's pack from assassins. Styles and Malia learn the origins of the Deadpool. So looks like we're getting more answers. Thank goodness. And I feel like episode 10 is going to be a pretty big one. So um, I guess wrapping up. If you guys haven't already figured it out yet, we have a whole nother hour of this episode of the podcast. Yay! But I promise that it's better than just us talking about our scars and bread and butter pickles because we actually got to interview Ryan Kelly, who plays Deputy Parrish on Teen Wolf. And uh, Natalie and I did the interview and he was wonderful and he gave us some really good answers and he was a lot of fun. And uh, we got some more insight into Deputy Parrish, who is very mysterious at the moment. So thank you so much to Ryan for coming on. And uh, I guess until next time, you know, just enjoy and we'll talk to you later. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Hi, everyone. We are here this week with a special treat from you. We've managed to wangle an interview for the podcast with the one and only Ryan Kelly playing Deputy Parish on Teen Wolf currently. 
Uh, we're pretty excited about this. We've wanted to get him on the show for quite a while. And we were told by many of our secret sources that after this week's episode, Perishable would be the ideal time to book him. So we went ahead and did that. And here he is. Hi, Ryan. How's it going, guys? I'm good. Karen's here too. Hi, Karen. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, afterthought, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, okay, you know. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we're, we're very thankful to have Ryan come on and talk about this week's episode, Perishable, and also Parish in general and the Teen Wolf experience for him so far. So what we're going to do, Ryan, is we're going to talk a little bit about the current episode that just aired. And then we're going to ask some general questions about how it's been so far with Parrish, any of your ideas, and then just, you know, possibly be able to take some questions from fans at the end if I am able to get them to pay attention on Twitter. So, yeah, we, do, we don't like to put out questions for fans until we know that we have the person on the line, because in case anything falls through and then we look like, you know, a bit silly. But No, I get it. I'm excited. Let's start this. Cool. Karen, do you want to do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so in Perishable, uh, you were set on fire. What was that like? Uh, playing a scene where um, <laughs> where basically you're being burned alive is uh, never quite fun. Uh, at the end of the at the end of the shoot, we went through all night filming that that scene, and thankfully I was not filming the next day because I just lost my voice. Uh, towards the end, we did a couple of takes where. Jen, the director, was just like, just go for it. Scream your, scream your lungs out. And by the end, my voice had been completely been shot. Um, so it seems like they're, they're fun to do, but uh, they're definitely they're daunting on, on your energy level. Was it Jen Jen Lynch directed this episode? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, she's yeah. amazing. She directed the episode uh, that we were on set for as well, which, yeah, we got to meet her, which was fun. She's pretty pretty intense to work with, as we saw, like kind of fun and, and, and funny, but full on. Oh, yeah. No, she's amazing. She's one of my favorites. Yeah. So that you brought up the screaming situation, which I kind of noticed, especially when I rewatched the episode, was really like, you know, it's pretty no holds barred, you know, just screaming for your life. Um, was that done on camera? Like, or did you have to go into a booth and kind of run around and scream like an idiot? Like, <laughs> That happens quite often. Thankfully, I didn't have to do any ADR. Um, <laughs> just as an actor, it's horrible. You know, D- during the scene, yeah. you know, I'm handcuffed to a steering wheel, and I think it's so much easier to get into character and scream, like pretend that yeah. you're actually being burnt alive. Yeah. And then when when they bring you back in weeks later into a sound booth and you have to recreate <laughs> that magic, it's horrible. Yes. So thankfully, Jen, I mean, we did it a bunch of extra takes for the scream. Uh, specifically, that we saved sort of the end, like I had mentioned, you know, we didn't want to lose my voice, and at the end, she was like, look, just go for it. Mm. So we did. Cool, that's cool, but horrible, but yes, I'd, I think I'd prefer to be doing it actually in the moment as well. We had Holland Roden at a con down here in, in Australia a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying that uh, in her interview, which was that, um, yeah, they did all her screams live on camera, but now that they have like a bank of screams to pull her sounds from when she can't do it live on camera they they don't do the the booth stuff so that's yeah a bit, bit more fun a bit more real i suppose i want to i want a f- folder of just screams for me so i don't have to do that That'd be nice. <laughs> well <laughs> let's hope that you don't need to be screaming that often you know that's not not the ideal is it to have to be in as so as much peril that you're screaming all the time <laughs> as long as parish pulls through i'm okay with it mm. yeah i think everyone pretty much agrees with that um, 
So you obviously come back. You didn't die. Thank goodness. I think everyone was really relieved about that. When you came back and you were all sooty and you're sort of, well, you kind of went crazy on Hague, which nobody can blame Parrish for that. Um, what, what was sort of like, were you given any specific direction for that? Was he just mad or was, you know, there's something supernatural about that? I am kept in the dark almost just as much as the fans are. The one direction I was given is that Parrish was sort of out of control mm-hmm. and almost vindictive, um, which could be maybe a key into a little bit behind the scenes of Parrish. So, you know, they definitely were, you know, he just lost control. Um, he had just been burned alive. Um, <laughs> and I think anyone in that situation <laughs> would not handle it much differently. Yeah, because it really seemed like there was something slightly... Uh you know, possessed about him in that moment. It wasn't just like, I'm real mad. You did a bad thing. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. You know, he, he might've, he might've punched one too many times. And then at the end you see Parrish kind of come back and rest on his knees and just relieve, you know, just mm. like that air that just came out of him, like almost a little bit of a crazy. Uh, so it's definitely interesting. Yeah. We, um, did, we, did, we took it. we actually did it a couple different ways. Um, and that's the version I ended up going with. So so maybe the maybe the writers have something in mind that I'm not aware of yet. Huh. Well, we have heard of that happening on the show before, actually. So, you know, like, you know, scenes that are filmed in different ways that completely change the the plot. Um, and actually, until we saw Haig later in the episode getting punched again, I thought, oh, my God, has he killed him? Is he going to have to, like, face up to, like, you know, punching a guy to death while naked in the middle of his workplace? Because that's... <laughs> You know, that's something that might raise a few questions for career progression. Like, so, yeah. yeah Can you imagine that, imagine that police report? <laughs> imagine him doing a police report like Agent McCall had to do in the former episode where he has to, like, record about his own actions. He was like, you know, I, I punched the man in the head many, many times until he died, um, into the little tape recorder. But this was also the first episode, because he knows that something is up now, uh, because he didn't die in the burning car and he didn't even have his hair burnt off and things like that, which is a little little science fact that they kind of mention, you know, with the dead you know, dead tissue should already have, have been burnt off um, from the gasoline fire. He knows something's up and he kind of gets the... In- induction into the pack like he gets the the full group scene with you know the whole gang Derek and and Scott and you know they are all kind of telling him that he is something now though they don't seem to know what it was uh what was it like you know working with the group for the first time because you've done various interactions with characters um but you haven't really had that you know pack meeting situation so how does it feel to be part of that now yeah, Parrish is in the pack now, which is pretty cool. He's at least in the know. Um, yeah. So I definitely felt throughout filming that Parrish had an intuition of some sort. You know, something's going on. He can't be around all the crazy things that were happening and not sort of suspect something, um, which is exactly, you know, he thought they were all psychic, mm. which is kind of funny. Um, it was, that was a fun scene to play. Um, but I will say uh, just being able to be in the know is it's extremely fun as a character. I mean, Scott, uh, when he shows him his eyes, I thought that was pretty cool and powerful. I mean, Pierce's whole world, Pierce's whole world is turned upside down at that moment. Like what? His whole world is turned upside down, but at the same time, he is very accepting of the weird situations. Like Lydia, he thought that she was psychic and 
styles and everything that he had been going through in 3B. Do you know where that came from? Do you have any insight as to why he was so accepting about that sort of thing? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I just think, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to get into it a little bit more, hopefully, and maybe a little bit into Parrish's background. Uh, but the has, stuff hasn't come yet. Um, but uh, I just I just think, like I said, I think he was just kind he was picking up more than the average Joe. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he was shocked, but at the same time, he knew some crazy things were going on. I mean, just being around the sheriff, you know, the sheriff didn't seem super shocked about certain things. Um, and in an episode previously, you know, even when he said, you know, he has a, a specialist in teenage cannibalism, Parrish was just kind of like, what? You know, he, he's, he, he's not as dumb as as uh, as maybe said or oblivious, I would say, as some of the other deputies. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like you know, even when they were doing the kind of inquiries with with Meredith, he kind of was really accepting of like, okay, so this is weird, but this is what we're doing. Um, and he's really hung up like right from the start. Like he he kind of knew about Lydia's reputation. He's really hung up on the psychic thing. Has he had? you know, any experience with that before or is it just something that he's kind of latched onto as, you know, and as sort of an uneducated uh, person who think, you know, in terms of the supernatural world, but thinks that there is, is something around because he really ha- has latched onto that. Even, you know, his sort of final question to that pack, he's like, are you all like Lydia, like psychic? He's very hung up on, on Lydia and that kind of psychic thing. Is there any, anything you can give us about where that came from? Um, I think, I mean, I think you kind of sort of said it there a little bit. He, um, you know, just being blind to everything that's going on, you know, there's been reports and sort of hints about what Lydia is and there's been whispers. So he kind of just got hooked on that for a while. And, you know, it's much easier to assume psychics rather than straight go to werewolves and stuff like that. Um, and then I think Lydia just sort of, uh, grabbed his attention, um, good or bad. So I think he just took that and uh, sort of ran with it and kind of, you know, started to piece things together himself, but never imagined what what was actually going down. Yeah. So with Parrish in general, we obviously season four has been a very, uh, you know, development for him. Um, There's been, you know, major plots. It's Supernatural, Deadpool, etc. But people got pretty attached to Parrish right from season three when he was first introduced in the end of three 3B, um, they've been very sort of keen on him, you know, and just his his entire demeanor and and his introduction. What about season three? Did you, you know, when you were doing season three, how did you feel about the character then? Just his his sort of general personality and his interactions with the group back then. 3B was, uh, I mean, Parrish was more on the outskirts, you know. He was. Mm. Um, I, there was definitely, you know, I definitely worked with some of the actors, um, mm. but again, it was more like I'd be in the bullpen while they were in the sheriff's office talk, talking about something, and you know, Parrish yeah. would be looking on, or or he'd be around something, but not necessarily in on it. Um, yeah. So Parrish was fa- fairly simple, and I and I was told definitely that you know that the character was going to progress and that you know bigger things were going to happen. So mm. you know, I was just excited to see where it's going, and and, and thankfully this season we've got to get up to know a lot more about Parrish. It's been pretty exciting. Mm. Are you aware of kind of the, the fans' theories in terms of back from season three? Like, did you hear any of the kind of buzz around him uh, at that point? Because there was a lot 
a lot of it, basically. You know, even just from him making a big deal of the fact that he was 24, you know, when he was doing the bomb defusal, people were already making up, you know, theories about how he was some kind of immortal or something like that. Um, At that point, did you expect people to be um, having those kind of, you know, theories about the character? Uh, I knew... (laughs) Just from being a fan of the show and, and, and you know, doing mm. basic research, I knew how intense and, and serious the Team Wolf fans are. Mm. So, uh, no, it didn't surprise me at all. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things. You know, people thought I was Isaac, Isaac's brother. They thought Oh, I was, that was I, such you know, a good theory. I'm not even going to lie. You know? It worked so <laughs> well. Yeah, it's, sorry. Uh, Jeff, Jeff Davis is a genius, and whether he does that intentionally, I think he does mm-hmm. or not. It just it just magically yeah. works, and it it keeps people hanging on the end of their seats. Um, now everyone thinks I'm a phoenix. That's mm. what I've been getting getting the most of. There's some other things out there, but the phoenix I think is the one that I've been getting the most tweets about. Yeah, uh, we, people are people are pretty serious about that, and, <laughs> and you know I get it. Whether that's the case or not was, mm. uh, remains to be seen. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about the the theories um, because you know we, we've got we want to grill you about you know what you know as Ryan about the supernatural aspect as opposed to as Parish about the supernatural aspect. Very quickly, I just wanted to also mention. Um, uh, I don't know if this is purposeful or not. I know Jeff loves his Marvel, but uh, one of the things that a lot of people say about about Parish is that he has a real Captain America vibe. He has a real baby Steve Rogers kind of very, very good, very decent, while also very kind of snarky and sarcastic vibe to him. Have you heard anything about that? Parrish definitely has a little bit of a sass, which uh, which is definitely fun. There's certain scenes where, you know, he just little one little liners or whatever, where it's kind of like he's, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely fun to play. Um, as far as the Captain America thing, I mean, I love Marvel, so that's, you know, that's, that's, I've, I've seen a little bit of that on the internet, and it's, mm. you know, it's, it's flattering. It's cool. I, I love it. <laughs> I think the moment that I first really fell for Parrish uh, was um, when he sassed uh, Agent McCall about the, the ninja posters, and which was <laughs> just beautiful. So beautiful. And, yeah, we, um, we loved him straight away, uh, which was, you know, b- before we knew what he was going to be, obviously. So that's always a good thing because – uh, this is such a character-driven show where it doesn't really matter what powers you have. If the character isn't isn't there, then there's sort of no point, really. Yes. Yeah. No, now, it's definitely, it's definitely mentioned... been fun, and uh, and I hope more more of the sass comes out, and it will. It will. That's oh, all, Jeff and good, the writers. Good. Um... <laughs> now, you mentioned earlier that you were told right from the beginning that Parrish would kind of go on to become a bigger character. Did you know from the beginning that he would end up being a supernatural creature? I did not. I did not know Parrish was going to be supernatural. I was. I got through the grapevine. A little birdie told me a secret that I was actually going to be a hunter, oh. um, which could have, you know, could have been also completely different and interesting. Um, clearly that person was wrong or the information got changed. Um, they keep, they keep us in, in, in the dark, um, probably for, for a good reason. So we don't end up, you know, spoiling secrets. So I, I, you know, like I said, the fans know almost just as much as me, obviously I've shot the, the whole season, but they keep us, uh, they keep us in the dark. So it's, it also makes us just as excited to read, read every script. Um, you know, every time we get a new script, I'm like running home to go read it because I need to know. Hmm. <laughs> All we really know about Parrish in terms of his background was that he was in the army. 
Um, do you have any kind of thoughts about your character's background? Um, I'm not sure whether it's something that'll come up later, but just personal thoughts about sort of what got him to where he is aside from the, the supernatural stuff. As in, my, like, are you asking in my personal opinion? Or? Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, it definitely, um, his background has, I think, it has everything to do with what Parrish is or what it turned him into, I think. That's just my, my opinion. I don't actually know. Um, but that's sort of, you know, something, you know, he's definitely been exposed or, you know, he just, I mean, for the simple fact that he's diffusing a bomb and doesn't seem to flinch too much. I mean, if you put myself in that situation, I would be crying like a little girl and Parrish handles it like a professional. <laughs> yeah. So, so clearly he has some sort of something in his background that has just made him who he is. Um, and, uh, I think I'm hoping it comes out cause it, it's pretty interesting. I think the fans want to know too. Do you think, uh, I mean, maybe you can't tell us, but do you think that that is that sort of personality trait is a part of his humanity or is it like influenced by whatever the supernatural part of him is in terms of that kind of attitude? Uh, I, again, I honestly 100% do not know. I wish I could tell you guys. I don't. <laughs> My personal opinion, <laughs> it does, but, you know, maybe we'll find out in an episode or two that it's not. So, mm. um, no, no, you know, fair enough. We're used to uh, this kind of uh, thing. We, we, <laughs> it's hard. It's so hard. I wish I had, had all the answers for you guys. Well, we had the, the reason we tried very hard to get you on after a, a pertinent episode is because one of our first interviews was Hayley <laughs> Webb, who played the um, Jennifer Blake in season 3A, if you're caught up with the show. And yeah. we had her on, I think, the week or two before it was revealed that she was the Dirac. And she was like, so she just lied through her teeth for the whole thing. And she's great. We've met up with her and it's it's all very funny. But, you know, we, we obviously understand that there is stuff that, you know, cannot be revealed in advance. Um, but we were always so annoyed <laughs> that we um, we had her on, like, right before a reveal. And the whole time we've been like, if they reveal, we've both said, we both say every week, if they may, if they end up revealing that Parrish is evil, we're going to quit the show. We talked to the writers of the show quite a lot of Teen Wolf and we wrote them emails being like, yeah, you can't, you can't make Parrish evil. It's not allowed. And they're like, I can do whatever I want. Ha ha ha. So uh, yeah, if you end up getting violently killed, it's probably because we sent too many angry emails asking to protect <laughs> Parrish. Well, well um, then we'll do another interview and it'll be a lot more interesting. Oh God. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, the, the, he has the background of being in the army. He came to Beacon Hills because he was drawn there, which was a big clue to him being supernatural, given that they said, you know, after the nematon was activated. But Karen, did you want to kind of go into the the actual theories about what Parrish could be? Yeah, I mean, we saw Wolf Watch this week, and Jeff said that uh, pretty much nobody knows what Parrish is. I'm guessing, except for him, I'm pretty sure he knows. But you're in the dark about it. Fans are kind of all over the place with their theories. What are some of your personal theories, and what are some of the best theories that you've seen online? Oh, I hate this game. I trust me. Every time on set, I would try to get Jeff to s spill the beans on something or give me a hint. And I always, I would always tell him, "Come on, give me a hint, give me a hint, please." And he just smiles and walks away. I mean, it could be at first, you know, before these last couple episodes that you guys just saw, I had, I had no clue. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's there's endless possibilities. You know, I would try to like Google supernatural bombs fire you know try to piece it together um i i will say 
the Phoenix is fairly interesting. Uh, if you watch Wolf Watch, mm. you know, they, 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 they gave a little hint, or, well, they did, but, they, you know, they mentioned the fire, the ashes, uh, yeah. and the whole Phoenix thing. And just logically, that kind of makes sense. So I, I definitely think that's, uh, that's probably number one up there. Um, and, and again, with the fans, that's that's what I'm getting the most of. And some of the yeah. art that I'm going to send is pretty cool. So I'm going I'm to go with that one. I'm going to say that's what I am at this moment. But knowing Jeff, it's probably not. My theory about the phoenix thing, because I'm like, a phoenix is a bird. It's not a person. But say it's a phoenix person thing. I, I'm a bit, a bit, a bit of a stickler. <laughs> uh, my theory, here's my idea about this. Um, it's that if he was that, that phoenix, um, that he was inherently good we want to say that Parrish is inherently good because as as we said we've we've we're going to uh you know quit the show and stage a protest if he's not no we're not that dramatic we're just we're just joking but we like to joke about it but that if he's an inherently good person so he's always drawn to where he can do the best for example the bomb squad stuff like if he got blown up he wouldn't be hurt or you know if he died he would come back but here's my thing I think he might be immortal but that every time he gets reborn, you know, if he does get blown up or burnt to death, as you know, because the phoenix dies and rises from the ashes as a, you know, as a baby again or or whatever. I like the idea that he might be immortal, um, but doesn't know it. Like if 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 he's not lying currently, if he's not lying to the rest of the group about not knowing what he is, that basically every time he gets reburnt and reborn that he has to he has no memory of his past turn as a as a human or a living through to his burning or explosion and that he has to rediscover it all again every single time like he doesn't actually know the process but he has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years possibly that's my current working theory that he you know when he gets reborn from the ashes that he has to go and figure it all out again uh, because it's either that or he's lying through his teeth to everyone, and I don't want to think <laughs> that, so, you know. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely interesting. I don't think, and this is my personal opinion, I don't think he's lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the funny thing is, uh, shooting the first couple episodes, a bunch of the, the crew members, there was a running joke that I was the benefactor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then they would, they, were, they would always give me... Uh, give me crap and say, well, you're going to die at the end of the season. Mm. <laughs> um, it was a running joke. Um, but uh, no, I, I don't think Parrish is lying through his teeth. Um, he has a sort of boy-next-door quality to him, mm. uh, an innocence that uh, that just makes me believe that, you know, he's he's not lying and he truly doesn't know what he is. And um, But again, you know, we're talking about Teen Wolf, so... You guys could turn on tomorrow or next week's episode, and you know, I could be evil. You, you just never know. It makes the show so exciting. No. <laughs> Let's yeah. hope not. Yeah. What I I also liked on Wolf Watch, uh, Jeff kind of made this side comment, like, you know, is he just impervious to fire, or is it other things? And I almost wonder if like we're looking at this too narrowly, and that he could be something completely you know, off track from, like, a phoenix or, you know, a like, dragon or something. He's not a dragon. Maybe he's, like, <laughs> maybe he's well, like he Darwin was, in the X-Men, like, he just adapts. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, you know, some people, I, I've, you know, gotten comments of, you know, he's indestructible, but there's, if you, at the end of 3B, I definitely got cut by a sword, so Parrish, Parrish can be wounded in that way. You know, if, if, when I was burned, was I actually physically completely burned, or did I just completely survive it? Did I mm. feel the pain? Didn't I? I do know that I felt that knife wound um, in 3D, 
So he's mm-hmm. so interesting. That, that, adds, that adds something to it. You know, it's not he's not indestructible. Interesting. So far, as I said, this episode you've gotten a bit of a, a turn with most of the pack, which is fun. And before that, you've had a lot of you know kind of sheriff styles, Lydia stuff. But which characters on the show would you like to see Parrish interact with more or, like, at all if he hasn't had a scene with them? Like, you and Derek, like, Parrish and Derek, they're about the same age and Derek doesn't have any friends his own age. Do you think that they'd like to get a beer or something? Like, we really need Derek to have friends. You don't understand. It's really important. He's very pathetic. I think Derek's too serious for Parrish. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think he's too grumpy. Uh, No, I don't know. Uh, See, Parrish definitely – I definitely feel Parrish – you know, though he has a baby face, I definitely think he's the type of person who thinks he's super professional and mm-hmm. wise beyond his years. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, he's definitely, you know, he loves being around the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the older characters, you know, he likes to be around in the mix as, you know, as a uh, as an adult. And even even when, um, you know, Styles and Lydia come come to Parish, he's still, you know, kind of acting all stoic and professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so scenes are for people who I would like to work with more. Uh, see um i mean i guess it would be Derek or, or scott because then i'd be in the mix of things but otherwise i don't know i you know i, I really like jr's character yeah chris is what i was gonna yeah say i can yeah, say that Argent, yeah. you know i yeah. could definitely see parish and Argent. um just once <laughs> they're both sort of well one thinks he's in law and one is in law or, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting yeah I can actually see some budding heads there, maybe. Not yeah, even, they're both on the same suggest. side, but I can see it. Kind of, kind of. You know, but Argent could maybe push the line, something that I don't think Parrish would necessarily do. Yeah. So it'd be like, uh, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a, be a pretty, you know, pretty mind tease for Parrish to, to <laughs> see if, you know, go along with it or not. Yeah. End up arresting him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 or trying to and failing, failing miserably. <sighs> That would be interesting. Uh, so I always like looking into the characters as people, not necessarily like their connection with the plot on the show or anything like that, but from your point of view, your opinion, what do you think Parrish's biggest strength is and what do you think his big ne- biggest weakness is? Parrish's biggest strength, um, I believe, is just you know his, his, his intelligence and his calm and, and you know, how he's collected. He, he, he doesn't jump the gun on anything. He's very... Um, I try to play the character as he's always trying to figure things out and always paying attention to details. I mean, you saw it a little bit in when I'm handcuffed. You see Parrish always just trying to figure out the angle or doing something. You know, he's handcuffed to a car, and even while he's begging for his life, he's still looking for a way to get out of it. Um, his biggest weakness, um, I think, was just shown recently, is that he's a little vindictive. You know, that those punches started to get pretty brutal, and, you know, maybe he should have stopped a couple punches before he actually did. <laughs> So that, you know, that could come play a part, as I said before, that, 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 that hothead, you know, revenge type thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he could have handled that situation completely different. And like you said, he could have even gotten in trouble and, and potentially severely hurt Pig to where he would have gotten himself into trouble. But at that moment, he was just completely in a rage and you saw him just kind of lose himself. Yeah, that hot-headedness that takes over from, like, the stoic thing, you know, that comes out, I think, in in little bits when it's sass, you know, at which which we love. But then, yeah, it has the potential to come out in sort of big, irrational, 
moves as well, which, as I, as I sort of mentioned, is very much the, the Steve Rogers aspect of the character, as I call it. But, um, you know, if, if we're toning down that, that kind of little, little bit of uh, anger, just back to the sass, what's been your favourite kind of zinger or, um, you know, moment of sarcasm or, uh, you know, just uh, mouthiness from Parrish so far? I mean, he, he has a bunch of lines. You know, on the bus, he talks about, you know, how he's going to say he looks really young, but, you know, he, he switches it up to handsome. Mm. Uh, he, gave, he gave Argent a little bit of sass about his um, the weapon that he wanted released to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think my favorite overall is the, the teenage cannibalism expert that he gave <laughs> to, to the sheriff. Like, come on, what? Yeah. You know? And, you know, and he didn't, he didn't stick there and, and, and continue to give it to him, but he's just like, he gave it to him like, I, I know something's up. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's part of Parrish trying to figure everything out, thinking he knows the answer. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it is, it is, it was unusual. So Parrish wasn't wrong, but, you know, he's just sort of giving the sheriff a little, like, come on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And in a way that the other deputies, you know, generally, I mean, you'd assume wouldn't, like, you know, in a, you know, small town police station, you know don't really talk back to the sheriff, but he does seem to be sheriff's right-hand man at the moment, mainly because he's kind of chill with everything that's going on. So, yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of the character. Going into kind of not really the the character, but the, the Teen Wolf experience and the set, uh, Jeff tried to cast you like a bunch of times, like four times or something, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I've been involved with Teen Wolf for a long time. Yeah. I did a, I did, I did a film uh, called Prayers for Bobby that Russell... Yeah directed oh um, yeah so that was my, yeah yeah that, w- that was my tie-in with the pilot um i went and auditioned for scott um and i just what i mean back then i was a teeny twig i wasn't i mean just no way i could play yeah. that character so you could play pre-serum steve rogers don't worry just ignore me <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> uh, i i also uh, auditioned for the role of isaac we got pretty far on that but again uh Daniel came in, and, and I mean, he was amazing in it. So, uh, you know, and Parrish came along, and thankfully uh, I got lucky, and now I'm playing Parrish and, and loving every minute of it. Yeah, I mean, I really like, you know, what you bring to, as you said, kind of one of the, like, the adult crew rather than the the teenage crew, because, you know, obviously the a lot of the young adults on the show are relatively in the same age bracket in real life, but I, I like the uh, the differentiation between the teens and the kind of responsible adults or whatever they're trying to be, and I like you in that part. That's what's been so fun to play, is Parrish is 24. I'm actually, I'm about to turn 28, so I am older than most of the cast, besides, like you said, Derek, we're sort of, mm. I guess, in the same age range. Um, yeah, maybe, we but, don't know. So been, right, we, well, we don't know, but uh, no, so it's, it's just been cool, because normally I'm the baby-faced teenager in yeah. high school, um, and all of a sudden, now I'm playing, you know, older than that, and it's, it's just, it was, it, for the first couple days filming I, I just kept smiling about it I was like oh that's that used to be me and now with Sprayberry coming in you know so they're young they're oh young my so, God, he's I'm, so young I he's know so I'm starting young. To I had to do a double take the first time it was awesome I was like whoa <sighs> so young <laughs> yeah no I think it's cool yeah no I, I love it and 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 uh it's exciting so it's it's, it's sort of like a uh you know a couple of steps forward into my career so it's pretty exciting for me as well mm. Do you have any fun stories from set that you can share with us? I mean, I know you said that uh, people are picking on you that you were going to be the benefactor, but any you we know the cast likes to play pranks sometimes or, or anything funny that you can share. 
Uh, oh, I have a good story, but I can't share it right now because it involves something that's coming up. Oh my uh, god! Oh no! Oh, I'm horrible. I should have said that. But uh, no, I have some fun stuff. We did uh, towards the end. We did uh, we did a uh, the crew and the cast did a, a selfie contest. Uh, we were doing we were doing nights and we were shooting. Um, I mean, we were doing 16 plus hours, you know, back to back to back, shooting till six, seven in the morning, and we got pretty loopy. Um, and and someone made a, a, a selfie contest. Um, and I don't know if you've seen the picture, but I dressed up. I got I went in at lunch and snuck and got a. Uh, and I went through her makeup thing and took her her lipstick and I I, I did my best in, uh, impersonation of her in front of her trailer. Uh, and, and I won, and I won the contest. They, they, they gave me way too much time. I had, I had, uh, probably two scenes off, you know, the crew, they work constantly. They're, they're, they're 24 seven making us look good. So they did this thing. So for them, you know, to take five minutes to make a selfie, they don't, they didn't have the time that I had. I had probably two hours to come up with that. So it was unfair, but, but I took all, I took every bit of advantage of it. Oh God. Yeah. I believe we did see that, that picture circulating around the internet, which is, uh, Fun. Lydia's never looked so pretty, right? Yeah, obviously. You know, <laughs> um, you know, Holland Road and who? I think that you should, you know, probably take over that role. So, um, sort of, one of my other questions was: Are you aware of slash Did you ever expect the fan response to your character? Because people have really gone mad for him. And I mean, I don't think it's just that you know you're a, a nice looking man because this show is full of nice looking men, which is is a great thing, I suppose. But people are really like, you know, they're just number one darling character. People absolutely have attached themselves to him. You know, even before this episode, like based on, you know, not too much that we've seen. Did you ever, like they were, for example, lots of funny Tumblr posts going around. Oh, you know, reveal that Parrish is a supernatural character. No big deal. Reveal that Parrish has a first name. Crazy screaming. So like, if you know what I mean, people really love the character for who he is. Did you kind of ever, ever expect that response coming onto the show? I did not. Definitely not like this or this quick, you know, because there really isn't that much information about mm. Parrish out there. So it's, it's been, it's been awesome, but it's also at the same time, it's like, you know, people, you know, I, I don't, people have questions for me or things like that. And there's not as much background because Parrish mm. is relatively new, um, but it's amazing. I can't, you know, it's, it's awesome. I, I, I didn't expect it, but it's, it's awesome and it's flattering. And, and um, you know, I, I think part of the reason is it's just Parrish is in a pretty cool situation. You know, he's like a sidekick to the sheriff who never really had a sidekick. Um, but he's younger, so he can still sort of attach himself to the younger cast, and he's like this bridge in the middle of that that just kind of like fits, and so it's mm. been it's been pretty cool. And I think I think the fans enjoy that. I hope yeah. they do. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we had Alyssa Clark, um, you know, from the writing team on a couple of weeks ago, and one of the things she said was, you know, oh, you know, the show doesn't get to spend as much time as they'd like to with the kind of the over 25s like kind of by that meaning like you know the parent group of the show but you because you have Derek who's the one weird older guy that hangs out with the teenager and it's nice (laughs) and then now we have kind of we have Brayden and we have you and it's just nice to have kind of a younger adult group that could be in on stuff with the pack as opposed to it being teens and parents and it does blend it a bit more uh in a kind of a cool way yeah, no, that's definitely what I think it is. So it's, it's uh, you know, because, you know, Team Wolf's been around now for a little bit. So some of the fans that started from the beginning are growing up, too, as well. Mm. I, I, I love every minute of it. I, it's it's, it's mind-blowing. Uh, it's so cool seeing, you know, I, I get the coolest pictures and messages and fan art sent to me. Yeah. Um, 
with Parrish and you know about his eyes or about you know whatever. So it's been it's been it's been it's been exciting to go along with the ride with them as well. I've never experienced anything like this, so it's been pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, anything to comment on in terms of the idea of uh, Parrish and Lydia getting together, which is something people have extremely attached themselves to as well. Uh, because, you know, you could say that he's a little bit old for her, but she did date a werewolf who was only pretending to be in high school, and we don't know how old he was in real life, Aiden. Like, he might have been, you know, very, very old and just pretending to be in high school. But Parrish and Lydia, lots of interaction. People very much like the idea of that couple, and she said she doesn't want to date high school boys anymore. So any thoughts there? Yeah, she's, she did say that. She's done with high school boys. Uh, <laughs> and she's turning 18 soon, so... They made a very good... Of million, million tweets and and messages about that. People are pretty excited. Um, And there's definitely something there, whether it's romantic or not. Mm. Parrish is definitely intrigued with Lydia. I mean, Mm. his attention when when the sheriff brought her in, you know, know, he, he was... I would say a little more excited or a little a little more inquisitive than maybe the average person would have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and he went through that experience where they found the dead bodies with her mm. and his suspicions of her being psychic were kind of there all along and that just mm. intensified it, you know. So he's I think he's intrigued by her, definitely. Um, in which manner, I'm not quite sure. But uh I mean Holland is gorgeous, so who wouldn't want to have more scenes with her? Yeah. They did make a very strong point of saying that she was gonna be eighteen soon, so <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, so that's, yeah, as I said, when we when I went to the, the convention with Holland just recently, um, people just, when they sort of asked about Lydia's, you know, further prospects, got the whole room, Ryan, the entire room was yelling about you. So they're very, very keen on, on that idea, apparently. We, we shall have to see. I, I'm not too hung up on, you know, romance. There's not a lot of time for sh- romance on this show. You know, too many people getting burnt to death and stuff. But it might <laughs> yeah. be interesting. Being on sort of Deadpool lists, you know, we yeah. got to worry about our life more than, more than romance. But, yeah, you know, they definitely sneak it in there. So it's, I'm not saying it's not a possibility. Yeah. So speaking of Lydia, um, <laughs> you you brought up the the dress picture before, so at least that wasn't awkward. <laughs> uh, but you know, if, if Parrish could actually switch bodies with anybody on the show, who would you want it to be, and why? I mean, if it's coming from Parrish's perspective, I think it'd be the sheriff. You know, he's a deputy, so Aww. what deputy doesn't want to be sheriff? Um, as far as what I like, uh, I thought I, I mean. You know, either Scott or 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 Derek. You know, about you know, they're like the they're both the true alphas. You know, they uh, uh, Derek's just this badass that you know just comes in and and handles business, or you know, or sometimes gets the crap kicked out of him. Yeah. <laughs> and Scott is the true alpha. Uh, you know, his character is just you know he's he's the one that that started this all, and him and he's mm. just uh, you know he's he's the leader of of this whole world. Do you think Parrish himself does he want to be a leader? Is he is he an ambitious person, or or do you think he just sort of wants to do his best? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both. I definitely think he wants to do his best just to impress the sheriff and, and mm. do his job, and and you know, just like uh, when you see him outside where where he ends up going inside and, and finding Lydia, he's you know out there doing extra research or you know he's mm. thinking something's up, you know, going above and beyond. Um, and then, of course, I think he wants to be a leader. That's why every, any chance he can, he's sort of prying at the sheriff. Uh, same yeah. thing when he asks about Holland, like, please let me in. I want to be, I want to know, I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think it's, it's definitely going to get more interesting now that he actually is in the know. I mean, the sheriff 
uh, in this episode when he asked the Hague if he had seen Parrish, because now that, you know, I think he just, I think better things are to come for him, and, and, and more of his character is going to be re- revealed pretty soon. Does the sheriff know that Parrish is supernatural at this point? Like, I mean, obviously Parrish sort of only found out, but pa- the sheriff knows about the Deadpool, so does he know that, is are we going to see any any anything come from that, like the the sheriff and Parish about the supernatural at all? Well, if there was, I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> but yeah. in my opinion, I would think he would know. You know, he uh, yeah. he saw the Deadpool, and also, you know, I was mm. I came into the, the the station naked, yeah, burned alive, and then you know if you cut to the computer, so that that computer was still left up, so egg. You know, yeah. the story fit that they tried to kill me and burn me alive, and it looked like I was burned alive, but yet I'm still alive. <sighs> so Yeah, no, I'm fair not, enough. <laughs> yeah, in his world, you know, he still gets shocked all the time. Uh, you know, the, the funny scene was when he was talking about time travel, and he's like, if that's, if that's the case, oh. I'm done. I'm done. It's the best. It's the the best scene from the whole season was him. Yes. That young Derek. That young. Yeah. Do, does he know that 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 baby child was Derek? Like, are we gonna? Is that ever gonna come up again? Just out of curiosity. I can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I, I definitely think he, you know, he's in the know. He, he, yeah. I, I think that's what's cool is now, you know, he already trusted Parrish enough to bring him in, in the room last time. Mm. Uh, now that I'm supernatural. You know, he has to know. And, He's probably and just I think thankful for that he has someone else to talk to about it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. hopefully, you know, hopefully you'll see that bond grow. Because um, yeah. I love Lyndon. Uh, he's yeah. so much fun to work with. He was, like, my first person to start working with. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I love every chance I get to work with him. He's so nice. Um, I'm going to pull a few questions from Twitter now. Karen, I don't know if you want to jump on and see if there's any that you want. Um, I've got a couple here. Um, so many people... I'm sorry, so many people are asking about, like, being naked and covered with soot. I'm going to ask the nicestly phrased one. Amanda A. from at Call Me Apple said, how long did you have to sit around covered in soot in your underwear? All day. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry, you had to see that. Now, I thought it was going to, you know, I knew it was going to be fairly awkward, but, you know, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm about to be 28, so it doesn't embarrass me as much as I used to. As much as that used to to me, I used to be very uncomfortable with being even shirtless or whatever. But now, you know, I'm getting older, and you know, I, I was in I was in funny underwear. You know, I was in tan, basically a speedo. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there were definitely a couple times where I was a little too close to certain cast members that I had to be, uh, and we joked about it. But uh, it's sort of the only positive thing is I was in that suit makeup, that ash, and it kind of felt like a thin, thin, super thin wetsuit. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of just pretended that I was wearing sheets. Yeah, but you you that. did have to you did have to sit there in between takes all day oh, doing yeah. that, just just uh, wearing that. Just I mean I was just walking around naked <laughs> all day. Oh. Uh, so oh, I'm uh, sure weird things have happened there. Posey Posey had a good laugh out of it. He, he you know I walked right in the set. They were, they were in the bullpen doing something, and I just walked in and uh, and you know there's nothing I could do but just smile. And he just smiled back and said, okay, this is happening. Oh, it's so weird. Um, how long did that makeup job take? Like, I assume less than, like, a canima, but more than, like, I don't know, an average day. It took about an hour. It was, oh. it was harder to get off. Yeah, yeah. It took, like, an hour and a half, I think, to get on. Um, and, and they could have done it quicker. We just had some time to kill, so they perfected it and made it look amazing. And, and 
you know, just basically, basically cover me. That was the most awkward part because, you know, they had to get in the, the crevices that, oh, that people, you know, even if yeah. I was next to them half naked, they, they weren't, they weren't doing that. So yeah. that was the most uh, awkward part of the whole thing. And, you know, it was just sort of this understanding that this had to go down and, and I apologize and they apologize and we just went and did it. Mm. Another one, Ariana, who's at Teen Freaking Wolf, has just said, how's your experience on Teen Wolf been so far and who's your favorite person to hang out with on set? Uh, it's been amazing. I mean, the, just everything has been, you know, this is the first series that I've been a regular on or consistent, mm. um, you know, in my past, I'll either, you know, done films or guest spots. Um, so that in itself has been, been, been new and exciting. Um, and on top of the fact that I got on a show that has one of the most intense and amazing fans, especially with social media. So that, that was a whole whirlwind and learning experience in itself that I'm still trying to get the hang of. Um, and as far as the cast, I mean, honestly, I know actors always say this, and, I, and I'm, I'll constantly preach this. Jeff has made the cast and crew just amazing. Like, everyone wants to be there. Everyone has fun. Even when we do long hours, no one gets too upset. Um, you know, if anyone doesn't fit in in that role or, or, or makes other people feel uncomfortable, they're gone, um, which isn't the case. It's, it's, it's truly I, I really enjoy going to work every time I get to go on set. Um, and as far as my favorite person, I'm going to have to go with Lyndon just because I, mm. I interacted with him the most. And he was the first person I met with. And, 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 you know, he immediately tried to make me feel welcome and went above and beyond to like make me, you know, it's, it's always awkward coming onto a, a series, let alone a series that's, you know, as it's been going and it's, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. And here I am this new piece, like trying to fit in and, and not knowing anyone. So you're definitely left at this awkward situation at first until you kind of, find your place in your group and Lyndon made that you know as easy as possible for me yeah so, so, he, so he takes the cake oh Karen was there any that you see yeah I actually really like this one from at movie reviewer three and they ask what's it like to play a veteran and on top of that I would like to know did you pull from any experience you know with you yourself or family members or anything like that in order to play that role uh, I have two brothers a brother and a stepbrother that's in uh, in the in the military um, but no I didn't I didn't personally take anything from them I uh, you know I it's Parrish is sort of like the Hurt Locker, I guess, but uh, I, I didn't necessarily pull from that. It's just, um, you know, I just try to, my impression growing up of people that serve for our country or, or for any country for that matter, you know, they sort of have this, this noble thing to them. You know, I respect and look up to them in every way, shape and form. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be standing here talking to you guys right now if it wasn't for them. So, I, you know, I try to just make Parrish an upstanding citizen. You know, I kind of, kind of play him off as, you know, he's he's a good guy because he is. You know, he, he loves his country. You know, after after serving his country, he serves his country more by joining law enforcement. Um, I think that's pretty noble and, and very honorable. Mm. Uh, and, and that's definitely an important piece of pair. Um, but no, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really pull from anywhere too specific. We haven't gotten into his background too much. So maybe when, it, when that comes to play, I will have to. But, you know, for the most part, it's been fairly simple about his past. Mm. Would you like to do a parish flashback episode? I mean, yes, everyone wants to wants to do their own episode, but like, for example, uh, Arden got to do a flashback episode where she played her her mother in in the nineteen forties. But would you like to do a parish flashback episode? Oh, I think I think I think that would be awesome. I think the fans want that just because we'd know maybe a little bit yeah. more 
of what to happen. And that's not to say that it's not coming. So, so mm. hopefully. Yeah. I guess, uh, is there anything, I suppose, if you're up to date with the show, Karen, I, I can't see any other questions on Twitter that aren't things we've already asked or just everyone wants to know what you are. Basically, that's that's what it is. Everyone <laughs> wants to know. Like, I want to know what I not, am. So they're not being know, very creative in these. It's all the same know. question. What is he? What are his theories about what he is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my, I guess my last question, um, Karen, unless you have any others, um, just to wrap it up, if you're up to date with the show, like, if you know, as opposed to just your own scenes, which I assume you are, what, what was your... Um, kind of reaction to the reveal at the end of this episode uh, where Giles and Lydia and Parrish face down Brunsky, who we hate, uh, and then find out that Meredith is the benefactor of some sorts or involved with that entire situation in a way that still doesn't really make a great deal of sense to me. Uh, what, what do you, what did you think when you read that or, or what would sort of, what's Parrish's thoughts about that? I mean, I think Parrish is just completely confused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he was right there on the line with, with you know, we, you know, talking to Lydia about, you know, she killed herself. I, when I read it, I was shocked. Um, I was like, what? No way. Um, but again, you can't be too shocked from Team Wolf. So I knew something crazy was coming. I was just, I was just glad it wasn't me. You know, I read oh that my, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> I guess a final thing as well would be, what would you say? To all of those nasty haters out there that thought that Parrish was evil and, for example, thought that he organised Meredith's death and stuff like that. And I'm saying nasty haters and I mean other people on our podcast who are not here right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's a divided camp, not about you, but about the character. And some people really thought he was, like, shady and I never got that at all. One, one interesting thing to that, that that I've gotten a lot of is that Parrish is so, you know, heroic or not even heroic but you know like like i mentioned he's like the boy next door he's so sweet and innocent sort of that that people are just like he's just he's, he's too suspicious there's just no way he's that nice so so i think that led a lot of people to believe like oh he's the benefactor he has to be and you know you know, there's still a couple episodes left so you know i can't give away too you know what it pair still is you guys never know there's, oh there, no it's like there's more yeah. to it than, than than just that episode left off this so yeah yeah i'm sure uh, knows so yeah i guess that yeah we you know obviously have three episodes of the season left to go uh lots more to come hopefully they're, 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 they're definitely good i'm excited there's some good things coming up hopefully you survive and hopefully you're not evil you know because we have been hurt before basically by this show <laughs> many and, times and um karen always likes people who end up being really freaking crazy and evil so hopefully if, you know. I, if I end up evil, I, as long as I survive, awesome. <laughs> I just don't want to be evil and I mean, die the last episode. No. Yeah. But, hey, you can always come back. It's Team Wolf. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <sighs> uh, so, final, final question. Shall we ask our usual final question? Oh, yeah, you go ahead, Karen. Okay. So, we like to ask other people the question that we asked each other on our very first episode of the podcast. We played this 20 questions game, and this was question number 20. And that is, if you were offered the bite in real life, would you take it? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, uh, yes, I think so. I don't know. That's so. That's so. That's such a hard question. It's like, yeah, I'd do it. I'd do it. 
I'd go along with it. It would be so cool to have that speed, that hearing, that sight. Um, it, it just would be, to me, it'd be too enticing um, to not do it. But I would probably end up regretting it later on. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a cool thing for a while, and then you'd be over it or wish you didn't have it. So, yes, yeah, so I, would, I would take the bite. What did you guys, did you guys take it or not? Uh, I, I did, yeah. I said that uh, I couldn't know about the supernatural and not feel responsible to, like, help and stuff, so I would take it in order to help people out. Yeah, I, that's what I should have said. I said I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, she's, she's like, yeah, her answer's good. It's not like, yeah, it's so cool. I said I wouldn't, I think, because I was like, I'm like, no, I don't want to be involved in any of that. But, like, Karen had this, yeah, whole noble thing. Like, if she knew about the world, she wouldn't want to, like, she'd feel too responsible and, and couldn't just, like, look away. But, I don't know, I don't think I, I would. But, you know, we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll, I'll end up changing. But, anyway, <laughs> at the moment I'm still like, no, no. Um, I'm, I'm scared of things and, you know, I don't like to be involved. So, yeah, I'd be a coward. But, oh well. Thank you for coming on with us, basically. We hope to uh, see you sometime at, you know, a convention or something like that if people want to see you come out to a to a Teen Wolf fan event or uh, next time we come to LA, um, if we come on set again, maybe, if you happen to still be around, maybe we can uh, say hi. But, yeah, thank you very much for, for coming on with us for this week. No, that would be awesome. I'd love that. Um, and thank you guys so much. This was fun. Cool. Well, we'll say bye to Ryan, and hopefully you've enjoyed hearing from him, and you can reach him for any other other questions that, you know, he has time to answer on Twitter, which is at the underscore Ryan underscore Kelly, and that's Kelly with two E's, L-L-E-Y. Um, so, yeah, th- again, thank you very much for coming on, and we hope that you've enjoyed talking to us about the character, and hopefully he doesn't die or become evil. We've got our fingers crossed for you. <laughs> thank you guys so much. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Because st- 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 st-